Hello one and all and welcome to the Puri Puri podcast. Now I will start with a bit of an apology. If you were expecting the second part of our Pride two-parter, then unfortunately you're shit out of luck because um, Daniel has just moved flats in Madrid and is currently without internet. He's sorting it out. We understand it's in the offing, but at the moment he's sitting there in a flat without Wi-Fi, mournfully singing the wordless national anthem of his people, reminiscing about the paella and huevas a la flamenca that his mother used to make when he was growing up in the port town of Cadiz. Um, but for the moment, it's just me, George Thompson, and uh, with me I have David Forrest. Hello. Hello. Uh, what do you mean? Daniel's right here. Hello, everybody. And uh, returning to the podcast after her star turn in episodes uh, eight and nine, we have uh, Sarah Parkin. Sarah, how are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. I am glad that, number one, you enjoyed what I had to say so much, you've invited me back again, and number two, that we all agree that it was indeed a star-making performance in my previous appearances. Indeed so, yeah. Um, I I would like to say, is is the Pride uh, Part 2 becoming our duty come forever? It's just never getting released, (laughs) ever. (laughs) It is the Chinese democracy of uh, podcast episodes, although hopefully it will be a lot less disappointing when it finally does come out. I will say one of the greatest days of my life is the day I played duty come forever while listening to Chinese democracy. It's just a day (laughs) I never thought... It was the soundtrack that I had to have, and I just never thought it would happen, so um, I'll have nothing bad said about either of those. I mean, you should, though. You should have things bad said about that. Were you placing a pre-order for Half-Life 3 at the same time? <laughs> so um, what what we have for you today, rather than uh, Pride, is... Uh, well, we were kind of uh, scrabbling around for things to do before we get back onto our main timeline, as it were. And then we thought, hey, one of the, uh, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time is making her UK debut uh, very shortly for the uh, very wonderful Pro Wrestling Eve. Uh, so we are going to do a special one-off episode looking back at some uh, choice matches from the career of Arja Kong. So, um, Sarah, first off, would you like to tell us a little bit about RJ Kong, you being our resident AJW slash Joshi Mark? Yes, I fucking would. So, I mean, generally speaking, it's, uh, you know, depending on who you ask, RJ Kong may be referred to as RJ. She may indeed be referred to as our Lord and Saviour, Her Highness, like any variation of these things, because in terms of her influence on the industry and her her incredible level of skill and also her sheer badassery like Arja Kong is pretty much at the top of the tree um to an extent today but that's at least partially because she has been one of the most influential figures over pretty much 30 years now of of professional wrestling um so last time I was on and the last time I think you guys spoke about women's wrestling in Japan at all, um, was uh, in was the Budokan Hall show in 1985. Um, now, that's actually quite interesting because at the time, um, young Erika Shishida was in training. Um, she eventually made her debut in the following year, 1986. Now, she was 16 when she debuted, which by today's Joshi standards is, you know, relatively old. Um, you know, bearing in mind that there are 14 and 15-year-olds like regularly turning up in stardom shows nowadays. Those are the senior ones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. they're the ones who've been training since they were in the womb, pretty much. Um, so, really, Arja Kong's kind of career kind of spans almost from the moment that we left the, we left AJW last time. Um she made her debut summer 1986. Um, the first place that she ended up was in the Atrocious Alliance, which you will remember from having that awesome match on the show that we talked about last time with Dunk Matsumoto and Bull Nakano. So there's this stable that 
actually sticks around for quite a long time, um, especially within sort of the 80s and then kind of exists in different forms as it kind of splinters over the years. So, you know, you end up with like the continuity of Trash Alliance and all of that jazz. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Let, settle down, guys. Settle down. Um, so, I love the fact that now she is making these jokes and she's in a podcast of Warped her to the point where she's just making <laughs> IRA jokes. Like. That's and living with me because like the IRA jokes do not stop when the podcast episode ends, <laughs> let me assure you. George speaks entirely in like IRA jokes and Simpsons quotes. That's that's what my life is. Sometimes right, both. Because we live together. Um, so, yeah, and often finds ways to kind of combine the two, which is even more disturbing than the lot. Um, but The Catholic Church, we've made a few changes. <laughs> Arja Kong um, graduates and sort of starts to debut as a relatively minor member of the Atrocious Alliance. Bull Nakano is still around at this point, which is important because we're coming to her later on. Um so that stable eventually dissolved in 1988. So they already have about 10 times as long as the average sort of tag team or stable in WWE today. Um, but that was when Dump Matsumoto retired. And I say retired with the biggest inverted quotation marks you can imagine, because I believe she's booked on a couple of shows next month. Um <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The the approach to retirement taken in, in, in Japan is, is is loose, fast and loose. Which is ironic for a country with so, with so many of the population are retired. <laughs> but are they, though? <laughs> so, um, after the Atrocious Alliance eventually um, sort of falls apart when Matsumoto retires, um, Aja and... Nobuko Kimura, who she joined, uh, who she joined the Atrocious Alliance with when they started training at about the same time, kind of went their separate ways. And then in 1990, they came back together and formed a tag team called Jungle Jack. Um, they entered a two-year-long feud against former members of the Atrocious Alliance, Bull Nakano, and the stable that developed around her, which was Gokumonto. Um they were two-time tag team champions during that. Um, and there was a hair versus hair match involved in this, um, in which both Arja and, um, and Nobuko Kimura ended up being shaved bald. The early 90s is when the most important achievement probably of her career begins, really. Um, in 1992, Arja Kong beats Bull Nakano for the WWWA Championship, um, which is the one that was being competed for back in the show that we talked about previously, and which dates all the way back to the earliest days of Japanese wrestling. Mm. So Aja has a massive, massive footprint at that point already. She's having a, you know, she's already had a six-year career, which, for context, is as long as Trish Stratus was in the WWE, and... Arjo hasn't even begun to really hit her peak yet. So um, I think we'll, we'll hear more from Sarah about Arjo's career, but that brings us very nicely up until the first match that we're going to do. Mm. Um, but I think it's also worth pointing out as well, one, um, one thing that you don't necessarily hear discussed when we talk about Arja Kong now, because we think of her as being so deeply embedded in Japanese wrestling, is and and she is Japanese. Um, her mum is a was a Japanese woman. Um, her father was a U.S. soldier who was stationed out in the U.S. So she is um, she is mixed race. She is of Japanese and Black heritage. Um, so she has grown up in a really kind of difficult position where the level of the 
the racism etc that she experienced sort of during growing up was quite severe and actually then parlayed itself into her wrestling career. Um, you'll hear us talk about how Bull Nakano went into the wrestling industry sort of expecting or hoping that she could be one of the, you know, the pretty Chikasa Nagaya-esque sort of baby faces and then was told, no, you're going to put on some weight and be a monster heel. Well, Arja kind of went in with the same expectations and was basically told that she was fat and black, so she was going to be a heel for her entire career. Yeah. Um, and that puts her in a really sort of unique position amongst the people that we that will follow through sort of Joshi over the next few years, really. She she really does stand alone in terms of her, her influence and her significance. And of course, like, I mean, the she did have the last laugh because now when she comes out, she's such a legend that... Uh, oh, yeah. Although they do boo her when she does her heel stuff, it's, uh, it's very much like they're very much appreciative of what she of what she did. And she does get a big cheer when she comes out. She certainly will when uh, when she makes her uh, UK debut at your call on uh, May the 5th. Oh, uh, uh, make no mistake, when they, when they play the Hellion slash Electric High with Judas Priest, I'm going to go mad. I mean, because like, I really like that song, but I mean... <laughs> it is great. As going, it's such a great song. I really hope that they um, secure the rights, in inverted commas, um, to play that one. It's the indies. I think you'll be fine. <laughs> Progress sold out when they started uh, started having uh, original themes for people. That's all I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> Whether it makes its way onto like streaming services with the original music <laughs> remain, remains to be seen. But yes, it will indeed. definitely be included. It, it does not remain to be seen, Sarah. It won't. Yeah. <laughs> um, so before we get on to the um, before we get on to the first match, um, let's just have a chat about where we first experienced Arja Kong. So uh, David, you were trying to rack your brains uh, oh, before the episode. Have you have you are you done racking? Uh, I mean, yes and no. I seem to remember like um, before I, I I've mentioned various times that I had a break where I was really into wrestling when I was younger, and then from about two thousand and five to two thousand and eight, I watched pretty much zero wrestling. And then got back into it in about 2010. Um, I always mentioned the way I got into Japanese wrestling was through the Mutants and Wrestling Forum um, from <laughs> 6 all the time. Um, and I seem to remember that at one point they mentioned um, they mentioned like Joshi and AGW. And to be honest, I am still I'm not the most um, well versed person in Joshi, but I remember doing a um, a deep dive where I found a Joshi for dummies. And it was just a big list of these are all amazing old Japan uh, women's matches. Just go watch them all. And I watched a big ton of them. And I seem to remember Asher Kong from that. Just being, just being. I mean, I, I, it's no, um, it's 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 no secret that I'm into um, big horse um, heels like Vader. Like Vader's probably one of my favorite like pure wrestlers of all time. Um, I rate him abnormally high, and yeah, Asher Kong just fit that mold so much. So instantly fell in love with, you know, everything everything about. <laughs> and you were fam- you were familiar with Bill Nakano at that point? Uh, well, uh, Bill Nakano um was a bit different because the the first Joshi match actually I watched was from the WCW World War Three. Um, okay. And she was on it, and at that point, I was just at Bill Nakano. It's just, it's just love. It's just life. It's she's just everything. Um, and from that point, that was kind of the the spur that made me go on this big uh, deep dive was that match, and then okay, going and finding it. I, I, I can't remember what the website was, but it was a huge, 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 huge list of just here all. It was probably matches. it might be Rudo reels or something. Possibly, yeah, because I remember but, they yeah. done like big uh, box sets of like all the essential stuff from what videos. From yeah, they they are they are brilliant. Um, I had a different sort of uh, route in, I guess, in terms of 
my knowledge of a certain type of uh, a female wrestler because um, you know I grew up watching uh, WWF in um, uh, 2001, 2002, 2003, and the sort of women WWF were hiring at the time um, were of a certain of a certain physical type, uh, which you know doesn't particularly we don't particularly need to go into. Um, and while you know some of them did have their merits as wrestlers, indeed some of them were very uh, good wrestlers. In fact, the Raw Women's Division in like you know 2003 is very underrated, but one of the principal hiring characteristics was that they had to look a certain way. Lita was like quite an individual, uh, but you know, there were rather a lot of sort of uh, tall, big breasted blondes in the WWF at the time, uh, viz Trish Stratus. Trish Stratus, Tori Wilson, Stacey Keebler, etc., etc., etc. And then, um, and I've mentioned this. Uh, wonderful uh, channel before the wrestling channel channel uh, yes. 47 on sky back in the day they had the... indeed yes pour one out let me not, forget not literally i can see you drinking iron brew and make a hell of a stain on the floor um <laughs> so uh they had the rights to i think noah and all japan and um probably one other uh, uh per promotion i can't remember but they also had the rights to gear and uh, that was the promotion in which I first saw Arja Kong. And uh, my mind was completely blown because I didn't know that there were female wrestlers who looked like she did. You know, she was very different you know, physically and not just that, but in the way in which she wrestled and carried herself than the uh, the women that you got in the WWF at the time. I cannot for the life of me remember who she was wrestling or anything like that. But I do remember that she made quite an impression uh, on me for those reasons. Um, Sarah, what about yourself? Uh, so it goes back again. I had kind of a similar relationship with um, with WWF and WWE women's wrestling back in the day as well. Um, and I I came back to wrestling after quite a, a lengthy gap, as pretty much everyone does at some point. I think I was about 22, 23. We hadn't been going out very long, I don't think. No. Um, and women's wrestling was in a really, really bad place in about 2013 and 2014. Like, it's the way that WWF and um well, the Fed, as I like to refer to it... Um, Up north, as we like to call them, yeah. the product. <laughs> the, the product. That's not fair. Don't bring David Starr's name into this. Um, I, I kind of really felt like it was actively depressing me because don't get me wrong, AJ Lee was kind of doing doing what she could, um, but AJ Lee was very much getting over by being not most women, and it was it, it really felt like it was a really bad place to be in, and they still weren't getting time to wrestle. And despite the fact that she made Caitlyn's beautiful spear look incredible, it just wasn't working, and I was getting really really annoyed about the whole thing. And I I basically said to to George. I need some good women's wrestling. And he went and trolled the internet forums and things and was like, hey, do you want to see some good women's wrestling? And the first match that we ended up watching was um, Paul Nakano versus Akira Hokuto. Now, I know that we're not talking about either of those women in any great detail on the show, although we are we are coming back to Paul Nakano. Um, but yeah, that was a game changer for me. And the the next match that kind of followed on from that, when I was like, hey, that Bull Nakano person's great, the next match I came to was an Aja Kong match. And that absolutely changed things for me because I watched two two women who did not look the way that I thought women wrestlers looked, doing things that I'd never seen women do in a wrestling ring. Um, so 
Or, or, or that you'd never seen men doing a wrestling ring in a lot of cases. Yeah, no, 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 yeah. That, that is true. But I think we're going to get into that in a bit more detail. Yeah, because um, as luck would have it... Um, that match... Is coming up. Next. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was, that was my Sky Sports. Your jinx, your jinx. <laughs> you'll, you'll get, oh, please no. Um, yeah. Let's not go there. So yeah, the first match we are going to be uh, what, what, um, talking about on this uh, episode is uh, Borna Kano defending the WWWA Championship against Arja Kong on the uh, 4th of no- uh, 14th of November 1990 at the Wrestle Marine Piad 2 event. Not a, not a word, Marine Piad. Uh, but um, you know, great, you know what? Word. Yeah, it's it's a word if Arja Kong tells you it's a word. I mean, is Dream Slam a word? Who knows? Um, so um, I was quite stoked to. I don't think I've watched this match since uh, that very first time we watched it. Um, good omen to start with. As we sat down to watch this match, the uh, burglar alarm in the flat downstairs, which had been going off for over twenty four hours due to a power cut, and then it started uh, blowing when the power came back on, and no one lives in the flat, so no one could get in to switch it off. At that point, the burglar alarm ran out of battery and switched off just as we were about to sit down to watch the match. So um, that was a very nice omen. I felt uh, I felt good about this. Um, Building a cannon as your corner literally so terrifying that even burglar <laughs> alarms will just stop in their presence. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, as we start, you have basically what happened bef- before any AJW match on their, on their TV broadcast, where there's, um, I think it's always the same bloke, this nondescript interviewer guy, uh, conducts an interview, or in, at least tries to conduct an interview in this case, because that, they had the very smart idea of having both women uh, interviewed at the same time, it pretty much immediately turned into a shoving match, oh, yeah, and a pull-apart ball. Oh yeah, this video was already a pull-apart, and I loved it. <laughs> Yeah. So for for context, this this match appears during the two year feud that I mentioned. So this is comparatively it's we're not near the end of the feud. We're not quite near the beginning. It's kind of they're very much already embroiled in uh, in this kind of hatred that's not going anywhere. Um, It was a two year, two year feud that we're entering now. And tension is already very, very high. It feels brutal and it feels like these women fucking hate each other right from the start which 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 is good like you don't need a 10 15 minute interview segment before they start shoving shoving each other if you hate someone you're gonna go right for them it's good um i must also add that this was um part way into uh borna carno's uh 1057 day reign with the uh with the red belt in uh, ajw which was the longest reign apart from uh, mildred burke who was the first champion, to be fair, 19 years with the belt, is going to take a lot of beating. Um, so Arja Kong comes out with her trademark bins and a T-shirt saying Punk's Dead. You tell that to a little band called Green Day. Um, <laughs> she uh, attacks Bornacano before they get in the cage and, in a sign of what is to come, uh, stabs her in the head with some scissors. Yes, I, I said this. I was like, like, the bell hasn't even rang and they're already pulling out the scissors and I'm like, I'm in for a good time. This is great. I- <laughs> I don't know why, but like I remember them building up to the scissor spots, but no, like the the match hasn't technically started. Already, people are getting gouged with scissors and also uh, chucked into chairs in the crowd in what I like to call the Jimmy Havoc Memorial spot. <laughs> uh, eventually, they uh, they get in the cage and. Um, as if to emphasise how much this match departs from normal sort of big match Joshi conventions, uh, a lone streamer flies into the cage. <laughs> the pro wrestling Noah budget has went up. <laughs> Somebody felt like that was important. Somebody felt they had to show some appreciation for what these women were about to do to each other. It's, it's kind of like when we saw uh, Mike Quackenbush versus Johnny Kidd and there was a guy trying to start chants and everyone was like, what are you doing? 
this, this is neither the time nor the place. You're going to st- you're going to sit there and you're going to watch some good old technical wrestling and occasionally applaud politely. That's the way this goes. So someone not reading the room. Um, they they're just wailing on each other to start recently. Um, weirdly enough, considering what I was talking about earlier, there appears to be you noticed this there was some sort of power cut. Yeah, I know it's just, and it made it even better. Like, I love a good power cut in wrestling. Like, not, not, you can't beat a power, or, or, you know, something unexpectedly happening where you're just like, oh shit, this is going to cut out, or whatever. Yeah, power cuts. As if this match couldn't get any more daft and chaotic. Just cut out the power mid-match. <laughs> mid the, the, some quick-thinking person in the crew puts the spotlights on them, which made things um, look very cool, and the... Uh, the quiet respect well not quiet but certainly respectful japanese crowd do not do what happens when the floodlights fail at a football match and go <laughs> which is how it tends to go in my uh, in my experience yet another reason why wrestling is better than football debatable I'm I'm not arguing with you, and I fucking love football. Um, the lights are back on just in time to see Bull hit a very nice exploder. The Bull goes to the top rope, and we've discussed before her facility with uh, top rope moves. Arja pushes her sort of backwards off the top into the cage, and then begins the um, spam of what is uh, arguably Arja Kong's most famous uh, move, the um, the uh, spinning back fist, oh, or God. the urkan in uh, Japanese. Now, to say this move is central to Arja Kong's wrestling style, um, her Twitter handle is at Arja Kong Urken. <laughs> so that's... Um, and as we all know, Twitter is literally the only thing that you should use as an indicator of anybody's true character, because I definitely know everybody who tweets on who, who tweets is exactly the same in real life. I mean, Aren't you, dear? <laughs> thing is, I am, which is not maybe not a good thing, but... Well, um, so uh, it's kind of weird in this match because if we um, looking at the matches later on, uh, we're going to cover in this episode. Um, they really build up to the Urican, whereas in this one, um, it's she's basically it's just like five minutes in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's so many just one after the other after the other, uh, proper full on ones as well. Until uh, Bonacan is already bleeding by this point. Uh, by the way, um, yeah. <laughs> we are mere minutes into the match. Um, uh, one, of, one of them in particular is um, it's the it's the stiffest Oricon since what I saw the other weekend when I went to see um, uh, Bradford Park Avenue play and the opposition goalkeeper just backfisted Bradford's substitute centre forward with a few minutes left for absolutely no reason and then got away with it. It was uh, something which enlivened what was, in fairness, a very, very low-quality football match. Um, I think the, the, the thing to point out is that I mean, you'll, you can see at various points in their careers when they've had matches against other people, both of these women absolutely can be technical wizards and they can be work rates. But that's not this match, because they don't like each other very much and they want to hurt each other. So right from the start, it's right, I'm going to hit you with the hardest thing that I have. Oh, yeah. I mean, even even like before the spinning breakfast in the canal, just, just straight up Malky's, I was recalling with a, a, a yeah. hideous slap to the face. Like, oh, I mean, it was, was awful. Arja is in, Arja gets heat at the best of times, but I don't know, I don't know if there was really a heel or a face in, in this feud. All I'm saying is, you know that you're getting heel heat with me when you're attacking a work of art like Arja Kong's hair. And they were going for that before the bell even rang. The, the interesting thing about this, actually, is um, a good counterpart to this match, I think. Uh, it's worth pointing out, it is escape only, um, unlike modern cage matches. Yeah, there none aren't... of this pinfall stuff. Yeah, exactly. Now, there's an interesting counterpoint to be made between this match and uh, Bret Hart versus Owen Hart 
from SummerSlam 1994, which is one of the very few um, matches that uh, Dave Meltzer for one has given five stars for. It's a very well-regarded match. I know a lot of people who think of think it's pretty boring because a it's very long and b there isn't particularly much wrestling it's one of them tries to get um out of the cage the other one pulls them down and the match is built around that um whereas with this match they are trying to get out the cage but they discard sort of pulling each other off the cage in 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 uh, favor of sort of a variety of wanton acts of uh, of violence um for example, when Arja Kong starts climbing the cage the first time, uh, rather than um, simply grabbing her and pulling her down, uh, Borna Kano um, has a flail uh, from somewhere. <laughs> and just a flail, big long nunchuck, and uh, whacks her in the back, and then hits a big back fist of her own, a lariat and some bicycle kicks. So that's the difference uh, between the two matches. And um, yeah, this brings on to the dynamic with the... So how do you find the dynamic with the seconds? Did it work for you? Well... Let's let, let's put something to bed to start off with. You know how people talk about when you have a cage match now, and then there is in, there's interference and there's run-ins. All the same with the Hell in a Cell, um, and people talk about how you know the cage is supposed to keep people out, but you know yeah we devalue the stipulation and we don't we don't respect the cage, right? The cage has literally never existed as a means of keeping people out. That's not what it does at all. What it actually does is it gives you an extra sur sur like surface to chuck people at. And these things exist so that you can find ways to throw things into the cage and to find ways to get involved. So it doesn't surprise me at all that you have seconds involved. But when you've got both of these women have such extensive stables around them and you know they have so many weapons at their disposal that they're just dying to throw in i actually thought that that really worked in this match because they want they want to see each other get hurt and they don't care how many seconds have to die in the process it's basically uh, super smash brothers you know how like some the weapons will just drop down and then you'll pick them up this is basically a Super Smash Brothers match, only with more blood. What I also like is that um, sometimes the chucking in of weapons backfires. One of uh, Arja's seconds uh, chucks a bin over the top, but yes. Bull catches it. Amazing aim on the bin, by the way, like up there with the guy who threw Stone Cold his beers. Yes. And, yeah, it's absolutely incredible. And that time Roman Reigns was in the cage and then, like, I think maybe Roman Reigns or Seth Rollins or someone chucked a chair over the top of the cage and then it sort of unfurled and sat up. Like, do you, remember, do you remember that? Like, that was poetry. That was genuinely one of the most satisfying gifts I've ever seen. <laughs> I could watch that again and again. Yeah. Uh, speaking of bins, there's about ten full-on headshots with uh, uh, by Bull Nakano. Oh yeah, all no Khan. sold as well. All no sold completely. Oh, just... yeah. You see, the thing is, I I don't really know how I feel about it because it's similar to when when people sort of talk about getting trash can like trash cans out in a in a Fed match. Now, like we talk about. Shane McMahon doing the coast to coast and, and things like that. You can, you know, bins will still yeah. turn up every now and then. At least they're not as solid and as heavy and as potentially seriously damaging as something like a chair could be or something, you know, any of the other things like a sledgehammer or something. So a, a bin is relatively thin, but it will never be comfortable knowing what we know now about concussions that was not known in, in 1990. In hindsight, watching Azure Kong just take like four full on bin shots to the head and I'm just like, oh God, like it, it, you can't, it really, it really clouds your 
your view of these matches when you just see people just taking full on shots. Yeah, to the head. yeah. These matches are retrospectively getting more uncomfortable. As, 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 you know, like Sarah says, at least it isn't like the sort of Oscar the Grouch bins that um, that WWE <laughs> seem to use, which, by the way, like like the red telephone box, like you never see those anymore. Um, yeah, these are sort exist. of like the bin you have in the corner of the office for the waste paper. I I don't know. Well, maybe they still have them in like the states, or maybe they still have them in Japan. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I'm amazed that they haven't banned bins from the US completely, given that they're dangerous to people like Randy Orton. <laughs> You're getting the Randy Orton bin injury joke uh, in before I could. That's. Uh... You know what? Any opportunity I can I can have to make a joke at Randy Orton's expense, I am going to take whilst it presents itself. What is this? You know, Randy Orton like did himself a mischief and got himself a nine month time out with injury when he took the bins out and injured his shoulder. No. Did you not know that? How did you we not make jokes this? about it all the time. <laughs> he took the, the bins out and like did something to his rotator cuff or something like that. Was out for like nine months. That's the wrestling equivalent of Kirk Broadfoot. Um that's a niche joke. You won't get out Kirk Broadfoot once microwaved an egg and, and it blew up in his face. Um, and he had to miss like three SBL games because of it. He was, he was like severely burnt by it from microwaving an egg. It was it was hilarious. I didn't even know that was possible. I, I that's needed, up there with needed a Kirk Broadfoot to be. <laughs> that's <laughs> up there with Dave Besant missing the World Cup because he dropped a jar of salad cream on his foot. <laughs> anyway, we're getting That'd off topic, but any opportunity to talk about football's funniest injuries, <laughs> uh, to quote The Simpsons, is uh, is good. Anyway, so we got onto this by bins, and there's a lot of people getting hit in the head with bins. There's a lot of people getting hit with all sorts of stuff. There are nunchucks, there are flails. The nunchucks especially look like they are a fucking lot. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, because no is experienced with those nunchucks as well. They've always kind of been one of her one of her kind of go-to weapons, to the point where when she made her brief reappearance last year at Manami, Toyota's retirement show she had 33 seconds in the ring and she literally just came out and then hit hit Manami with nunchucks that's just so much a part of who she is now also it meant that she didn't have to take any bumps that is that is true yes um yeah uh, one thing I hate about weapons and things like that is I hate when I see weapon shots or people being like chucked onto weapons that it's not like flat on so like a flat chair shot at the back is fine but see when people take it like at a weird angle or like you know my, my absolute worst pet peeve is when people take um, like bumps onto folded out chairs but like yeah yeah, I, I I hate that and like these this nunchucks this was not designed to hit a certain part of the body. It was actually just getting launched at them and they were just taking it wherever where wherever it landed. Um, it's 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 so grim. So um yeah, Arj Arjikon grabs the giant fail, hits her Bornicano in the thighs a lot, and then hits her in the thighs with the bin. Uh, and those thigh shots, by the way, look absolutely uh, disastrous. Like, yeah, horrible. <laughs> The um, ball gets given the scissors and um, jabs Arja Kong in the arm. This is this oh, no. is this oh. is a shoot. Um, this is a shoot scissor jab in the arm because there is some blood coming out. I don't know if you guys actually ever noticed. There's like a huge fucking scar on Arja Kong's um, right arm. Oh shit! Is this where she got it? I don't. No, I don't know. That's what I was. I was wondering. It's like it's like trying to date when Kawada lost his front teeth. We may never know. But uh... <laughs> I mean, like. Uh, 
I'm 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 into some pretty ghoulish stuff. Like I'm I'm into my death matches and stuff like that. But no, the, the scissor shots to the arm, like they, yeah, they, oh, they, they no, had a nerve for me. Around not not arm, not man. for me, Clive. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, the the seconds are just full on fucking brawling with each other now. Oh, even trying to scale wonderful. the. Uh, Cage themselves. Uh, one of them gets to the top, and ball just climbs up and hits them a lot until they stop trying. Um, then probably the funniest spot of the match, where um, one of the seconds uh, th- tries to throw in a chain, but um, can't quite do it. It just hits the side of the cage and comes back. And the second attempt, she manages to throw it over. I was like, surely you could have fed the chain through the cage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, would that not have been a better solution? <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I do like the fact that there's, there's weapons, but they're limited to things light enough to chuck over the top or thin enough to get fed through the mesh. Yeah. Um, uh, the, um, if I may make a slightly, uh, a slightly obtuse reference here in a manner that does not relate to The Simpsons, the IRA, or football. I know this is a departure I mean, from... choppy the waters, but go ahead. <laughs> so, yeah, so... When I was doing my A-level English literature, I went round to my friend. I went round to a friend's house to talk about *The Duchess of Melfi*, which is a revenge tragedy by John Webster. Um, lots of people die in increasingly ridiculous ways, from putting their hand on a poisoned Bible to being repeatedly stabbed in the dark by like their own relatives and all, all, all sorts of stuff. That the important thing about this is that my my friend decided that if she had to sum up. The, the entire plot in four words. She would go with the words ragey, ragey, stabby, stabby. <laughs> that is this match to me. This match is therefore the Duchess of Malfi of professional wrestling, and I love it for that. You know, you know what? I've seen the Duchess of Malfi. You are actually right. I have another obtuse reference actually, which is actually about wrestling. I know it's a rarity for this podcast, but you never know. <laughs> um, Come off it, man. Do you remember that there was an amazing match? It's very similar to this. Um, Rock versus Shane McMahon. I was literally about to mention that. Oh, the, it's, it's the broom. The broom is the one I love because he used the bars specifically so they could do this or basically Triple H. I think he made like good shoulder surgery or something like that and he was like in a sling. But what he did is he brought out a broom and basically spent the entire match sticking it through the bars every time the Rock tried to get in and jabbing him in the ribs so he fell off. I, I'm giving and... you the broom, Jeff. <laughs> I, I, it's just that match. I loved it, and like it takes all the boxes that this does. Um, apart from the scissor stabbing, um, mm. you know they didn't have that on Raw. But the you other know. thing that they don't have, which I hasten to add, is my my favorite thing about a lot of cage matches is when they they really try to integrate the structure into the match, and when they use it mm. to do things that they couldn't normally do. Um, apart from the fact that you've got people constantly sort of climbing up and and, and sort of falling off. The, the turnbuckles and the cage wall. This match doesn't necessarily always do that too much until they take the aforementioned chain and chain Arjakong to the cage. Yes, yeah. uh, recreating the scene from Die Hard when Carl is killed. <laughs> when they hang on with the chain. Spoilers. Spoil- spoilers. Uh, yeah, spoilers. I mean, come on. If you've not seen it by now, I mean, what are you doing listening to this? Like, <laughs> just, just stop this. So yes, stop Die the Pura Pura podcast. Go and watch Die Hard. Yes. Um, the, the other thing I should mention with the chain, actually, uh, just remind me of a very, very good match from LLPW in 1993 between uh, Borna Kano and Shinobu Kandori, which is a um, chain death match. I believe they're linked uh, together by the chain, and it's one of the most horrific things you'll ever see in your life. So brutal. Um, there's oh yeah, um, yeah. So Arja has the chain wrapped around her neck. One of the seconds tries to hang her, 
but gets in, into a <laughs> bull taste delivery of another bin and hits Archer in her bleeding arm. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah, that's one thing I will say. Like, if you if you're gonna draw blood, make the most of it because these guys are like repeatedly beating each other's open wounds like all the time. More more blood than an, in an afternoon after an old firm game. Uh, <laughs> um, speaking of hideous blood, um, I I noticed I don't know if anybody else noticed this, but there's a visual at one point where I think Bill it's, it's around about this point where she's standing on the turnbuckles, and she just lets out the most hideous banshee scream as she has an absolute crimson mask. And I yeah. wish I could have like screen capped it because it's just Bill Nakano screaming with his banshee face and blood pouring down her. And it's, it's art, basically. That's that's what it is. It's, it's wonderful. Uh, so, Bill Nakano um, hits a couple of leg drops, wraps the chain around her fist to hit Arja Kong, nearly gets to the top of the cage. Arja's back up with the flail and uh, hits a jackhammer from the top rope, which is... Uh... Which looks cool as shit, by the way. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's it's a really good one. Um, Arja tries to get out now, so the the, frant- the franticness... That's a word now. The franticness of the um, escape attempts, they're getting more and more frequent, more and more desperate. It builds really well. Arja tries to get out, Bull hits her with the flail, and then a revolting-looking high-angle powerbomb tries the top rope leg drop but misses and gets German suplexed on her head. Like, it's just one horrendous bump after another at this point. Um, Arja now has uh, the the giant pole and hits Bull all over her body. Looks like she's trying for some sort of um, top rope pole strike, which I would have loved to see if um, uh, that had come off. There are some quite methodical moments here as well, though, because when she's going after... There's... We talked about the series of, of thigh shots, but there are some quite systematic moments where Ar- Arja is going after Bull, and she's not necessarily strike like it's not necessarily a full strike with a flail or anything. She is actually at one point just going round following her, stabbing her thigh with the <laughs> end of it, so... like the the small like the smaller narrower end of it. So, but and she's pretty much exclusively going for the same bit of her thigh every time as well so she can be very precise and very methodical when she wants to she knows how to grind somebody down like that but it is all in the service of incapacitating her opponent it's so good and uh, of course speaking of incapacitating your opponent and indeed yourself um, let's talk about the finish it's one of the most iconic spots yes, in please. the history of AJW <laughs> and and uh, women's wrestling and of course wrestling in general um, we've talked about it on the podcast before but let's go over it again um, Arja tries the pole strike off the top rope. One of the second interferes and Bull hauls her off. Then Bull goes up, not to the top rope, but to the top of the cage to hit the leg drop and, in one of the most terrifying moments I've ever seen, almost loses her balance and topples backwards to the outside. Oh, my God. She I nearly wept when yeah. I saw that the first time. <laughs> she have won. Yes, she would have won, but... we <laughs> At would, what cost? She also would not have survived to become a best-selling diet guru and professional golfer. And, <laughs> um, she... Uh, Hits the leg drop off to the top of the cage, um, bounces to her feet, like because she's travelled so far, and yeah, she just bounces back up. Yeah, she lands in a squatting position. By the way, it's so. So good. she literally, she sort of, she looks down, looks a little bit scared, looks like she's doing a bit of a prayer from the top. Leg drops her way down, bounces off of Arja back onto her, back onto her knees, and is just. The whole thing is done in sort of one movement that's so smooth and so fascinating to watch in its kind of poetic beauty. And then you think, oh, Arja might be dead now. 
I, I'm stunned in the Canada didn't like shatter our tailboard. <laughs> yeah, we've been through this before. Like falling on your tailbone on like say you slip on something in the kitchen, it fucking hurts. I cannot imagine doing it from the top of the cage. Um, well, didn't Bull used to get paid extra every time she did something stupid like this? Yes, and she should have been. Well, there's blame. There's a claim. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure that works in pro wrestling because Vince is somehow still a millionaire. So. Wrestling lawyers for you. Um, <laughs> Bull, Bull doesn't... I mean, I think this is one criticism you can make about this match. There isn't much in the way of selling, but then again, these two women are, to use the parlance of our times, absolute units. So you can understand that. Um, Bull, yeah, hits the leg drop and climbs out of the cage as another single streamer flies in anticipation. Mate, calm down. Calm down. Um, and she drops to the floor and wins. The seconds carry her aloft in triumph, but Arja has the mic and she's shouting something. I don't know Japanese, so you're never going to find out what it is. And then, well, uh, you might if you learn Japanese, to be fair. Well, yeah, okay, I guess you could. If, you, if you're really curious, do some intensive Japanese language courses or just get Hisame on uh, Twitter to translate it um, uh, for you. It's not Noah, but she might do it if you ask her nicely. Um, and Bison Kimura, Arja's uh, stablemate, issues what might well be a challenge. I was just screaming again. Some faces are now in. You know their faces because they're all dressed in identical tracksuits. And uh, there's a mass brawl. Bull has a bit of a celebrate. And Arju is carried piggyback um, to the locker room by someone significantly smaller than her. I, I uh, My last note was post-match streaming. As I hear the most terrifying shrieks I have heard since the last time I was out in Glasgow at 3.30 on a Saturday night. <laughs> You're not far off, you know, actually. I, I mean, the uh, blood-curdling is the word that I would use. Um, these these screams are mad. Um, oh yeah, they're not messing about. I mean, this is an absolute classic. Go out of your way to watch this under any circumstances. Yes. It is violent, it is brutal, and it is utterly, utterly wonderful. I, I have a theory about this. Oh, right? go for this it. It's going to be a really weird, controversial theory, but it makes sense. Yes. I think... The, you know how you get all those people on Facebook usually commenting on like WWE um, Facebook posts about how they should bring back the P, uh, the Attitude Era, complaining about PG and stuff like that. And yeah, fuck that, man. Yeah. This is the best Attitude Era cage match I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Like, yes. this, this is just total Attitude Era. And not only that, does it include all the things, because, it, I mean, it's got the weapons, it's got the cage work with all this. It's the shenanigans for the seconds, because I'm a sucker for a match where you have two matches going on at once and you kind of have to switch between the two. It kind of yeah. gives us frenetic pace. And like that, that you can see so many archetypes in the Attitude Era in terms of, you know, whifflet seconds and stuff like that and then brawling beforehand in the cage. There's so many cage matches from like the Attitude Era where you, you can see like this, this match's DNA in them. Like, you know, and even then, like, it also does this wonderful thing that, I mean, I've mentioned that I watch death matches, but um, I have lots of issues with death matches in terms of the way they're structured. I feel they could be structured well better. That I, but I have a feeling that you can use pretty much any weapon, any weapon at all, effectively in a wrestling match, apart from a gun, because come on, guys. But, like, you know, yeah. like anything else like scissors and, like, light tubes and kinds of yeah. they can be yeah. really well into a match like this. And they can be used effectively, and this kind of it was like as brutal as a death match, but it had the the pacing and frenetic of like an attitude era match. I mean, uh, gun, guns have never been uh, effective in wrestling. Look at Billy. Oh. <laughs> or Bart. Yeah, yeah, that is true. 
BT's I mean, good, though. I'll, I'll give you BT. I mean, we talk about Attitude Era overbooking, um, and, I mean, they're not quite on a par with the click, because, let's face it, there were an awful lot of shots to Bonacano's quad, and nobody's dead yet. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. Somebody had to make a quad joke, guys. I'm sorry. Somebody had to incite this ghost of Kevin Nash. But, yeah, like, um, with this, if you are one of these mutants that posts on, like, WWE Make-A-Wish videos about how they should uh, fuck the PG era and they should bring <laughs> back the Attitude Era, you, you, this is a perfect match for you. Apart from the fact it has women. I know you've never met one, so you don't know, <laughs> like, but, you know, like, take that small minor detail out, you know, you'll love it. So, um, after, uh, now that we've uh, done this match, we are off uh, from AJW. That's the other thing about this episode. We are going to cover uh, four matches from four different promotions. A nice amount of variety. We are off um, a little bit west from uh, Tokyo, in fact, a lot west, to a very strange and uh, disturbing place. In fact, one of the grimmest places in wrestling history and one of the most maligned epochs. That's right. We are off to 1995 and the World Wrestling Federation. The governor of pro wrestling. <laughs> Give me strength, honestly. So. Oh, man. <laughs> like you want violent raw matches oh boy we got a violent raw match for you you know what one one day when when i have my own like rival podcast with like with, with blackjack uh, and various other things basically i'm gonna do like a multi-episode arc where i'm gonna talk about like the the bad bad experiences of japanese wrestlers entering into sort of weird cooperation agreements with american promotions because this was during an interesting point in WWF's history where they decided to start setting up working relationships with Japanese Joshi promotions. Hmm. Yeah, um, basically, there have been a few false dawns in terms of WWF slash WWE women's wrestling. Now now they, they, they seem to be making a, a good go of it now, but uh, I think probably the most significant false dawn was the one where they had uh, Alundra Blaze, a.k.a. Medusa, as the ace. This was in the mid-90s. And they were like, okay, we've got this uh, female wrestler. She, she, she's a good wrestler. We're going to push her as the women's champion. It's like, oh, shit, we forgot to hire a women's division. Um, so they... <laughs> Quick, bring them in. They... <laughs> Fly them in anywhere you can. They got on the phone to the Matsunaga brothers and to Rossi Fedora Managawa and basically like, okay, can we just import an entire women's division wholesale from AJW? And that's precisely we'll what happened. We'll give you a happened. bump discount. <laughs> and... Uh, but, so this, I think, started in 1994. We had the well-known match between Borna Carnival and Alundra Blaze, which was probably the best uh, WWF women's match until the quote-unquote Divas Revolution started. That was the SummerSlam 1994 match, but they did actually have a... There were more matches than that, so there was a feud that kind of ran through that summer. Yeah, they, they're good. I would recommend checking them out. And they hit upon a formula which uh, involved... Um, Alundra Blaze being the face and a uh, big nasty heel from Japan. So you had uh, Borna Kano, and then you had a bit of deviation from this in that we had Bertha Fay, who was who was a bigger woman, but certainly not presented as a threat. We went over this in uh, episode eight, and then uh, they brought in the next challenger, who was Arja Kong. Now to build up this match that we're about to uh, discuss, uh, I think it's worth noting, and this is quite indicative of where WWF was with women's wrestling at the time. Uh, Survivor Series 1995. There was a eight-woman elimination match. Now, um, Joshi fans amongst you, uh, get a load of the lineup for this because it is uh, true, truly awe-inspiring. On one side, you had um, Alundra Blaze, Chaparita Wasabi, Kyoko Inoue, and Sake Hasegawa. And on the other side, you had Arja Kong, the aforementioned Bertha Fay, aka Monster Ripper, Tomoko Watanabe, and Lioness fucking Asuka. 
And just there. Yeah, just, just, just there. And this match got 10 minutes. Uh, Linus Asker didn't even make it two minutes before she was eliminated. It's like, fuck me, the talent in this match. And how long did Linus Asker hold various titles for during her storied career? Yes, in, indeed. Like, I mean, for fuck's sake. Um, I mean, this, the match was basically a vehicle to get Arja Kong versus Alundra Blaze over as a feud. In fact, they were the only wrestlers to eliminate anyone in the match, as far as I remember. Yeah, that Survivor Series match, Arja Kong eliminated everybody on the other team. Yeah, so talk about putting someone over as a monster. But they thought, OK, we're going to put her over as a monster a bit a bit more, which led to this match. It's uh, 21st of November 1995, Monday Night Raw, a one-on-one match between Arja Kong and the aforementioned uh, Chaparita Asari. Now, I don't know if we've mentioned Asari on the podcast before. I don't think we have. Well, we she have, wasn't no. on the Budokan Hall show. We no, did. I don't think she was wrestling then. She is fucking brilliant. Like, she's a really... She really, really is. She's so tiny, uh, but she's a... You know, what she lacks in size, she makes up for in absolute mad shit aerial manoeuvre. She was the inventor of the uh, corkscrew moonsault, a.k.a. the Sky Twister Press. Yes. And as well as, like, various other death-defying uh, manoeuvres. Um, and we get to see... Some of them in this match, in between a lot of wanton uh, brutality. So Asari's already in the ring. Arja doesn't get much of an entrance either. And then was like, okay, this could be good. And then I remember who is on commentary. Oh, for fuck. Yeah, um, a, a piece of advice for anyone watching this. Um, watch it in mute. Yes. Just, yes. Just watch it in mute. Just don't, don't, don't watch the commentary because it is... Actually, is some of the worst commentary, and I'm talking like I have listened to Alex Shane and Matt Stryker. <laughs> I can't believe I'd say this. I would rather take Alex Strain, Alex Shane, Matt Stryker, and fucking Percy Watson in a free man booth oh my this match God. over this. This is that's desperate. Bad. I would take like, them in a five man booth, adding Byron Saxon and Mike Adamley. That that's the. Oh uh... come on. <laughs> Guys, more commentators equals better. Vince knows this, so right. So, yeah. so just just to fill you in. Yeah, on do you this, want a vent, Sarah? Um, <laughs> so essentially, this is a two-man booth at the time, and the 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 solid JR-style dependable face play-by-play commentator is Vincent Kennedy McMahon, um, whom, as we all know, the king of play-by-play because he's he knows all of those different moves so well. All, all of those ones are all called what a maneuver. If I ever wanted someone to like directly annotate and you know let me know every single move in a Joshi match, then. Vince McMahon is the guy that I would be calling up. Yeah, I mean, it's right from the fact that you feel so comfortable he'll be able to pronounce the names. Have it, you know, he just fills you with so much so so much confidence. You're a safe pair of hands for commentating have, on have a Joshi match. Vince has got form for this. Have you ever seen the, I think it's Survivor Series 1988 or 1989, uh, the Jumping Bomb Angels are... No, Rumble, Rumble 89, uh, Jumping Bomb Angels versus the, uh, the Glamour Girls. And um, Jesse Ventura is uh, Vince's co-commentator. And Jesse just casually says to Vince, So, can you tell me the names of the Jumping Bomb Angels? Which one's in red and which one's in pink? Very much as if to say, I've got you now, you bastard. Oh, yeah, and he does keep it up for a while. He doesn't drop it either. But you know what the really funny thing about that is? Vince McMahon, I gave him a pass in the commentary just because of how bad the other one was. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? I'll, I'll take this from Vince McMahon. Like, not knowing any moves yeah. is fine. I'll, I'll fucking yeah. take this. At least he's not like... Like, in-your-face offence. Let, let's just make this very clear. Jerry fucking Lawler... <laughs> there it is. 
can go to fucking hell and he can burn for all eternity and then we'll let him out of it, let him think that the coast is clear and that he's done his penance and then we'll send him in there again. Do you know why that is? It's because... Jerry, yeah, Jerry Lawler is a terrible person in many ways, but he's an even worse commentator, especially when he's in front of women because he's a misogynist pig, and especially when he's in front of Japanese women because he's a racist misogynist pig. Um, and all of these things really come together with, you know, the deep, deep wrestling insight of Vince McMahon and the pure, the, the purity of the support that... Jerry Lawler has for each of these wrestlers. It's a truly special moment for everyone involved. I mean, do, do you not remember when that Jerry Lawler did that shit interview in the mid-2000s when he talked about all those like great bison kimura matches? <laughs> he was a huge Shark Trashia fan. Uh, well, I mean, I, I hear that he might be actively sort of buying tickets for the next Sendai Girls show because he seriously wants to know what, you know, Big Match Chihiro and, and Mika Satomura are doing these days. He's really clued up on the Joshi scene. Jerry Lawler, I think... He is the sort of person who would definitely be into for some of Terry Riley's Chinese wrestling. That's all I'm saying. Um, mm. I it, mean, I, I I suspect that both of the women in this match were a little bit old, were, were a little bit old for him by the time they were actually on uh, in the ring. But uh, that's okay because he's not interested in how attractive they may or may not be. He spends most of his time on commentary making ugly and fat jokes about Arja Kong. It's not. It's not. It's not even the ugly and fat jokes, right? Because they are abominable, right? It's not that though. It's the fact that he has one joke that like is so especially bad and makes no sense <laughs> about how Asia Kong is friends with a rapper called Fatboy, and he ate potatoes, um, on a couch and died because he ate potatoes. Right now that that, that might sound like I've um said like described that badly. I'm not. <laughs> no, that's exactly that, that's what I'm saying. Per- and the, it's so bad a joke. The Vince McMahon cuts him off and goes, "This isn't working, lads. Like, let's get back to the wrestling. Let, let's actually like discuss this match instead of this awful joke." Well, the ex- Vince's exact words were, "The verbiage and this is brilliant, Fat Boy, the gentleman who just expired." Vince McMahon has never known how to talk like an actual human being, and uh, this is uh, this is proof. Let, let's let's talk about the actual match because this is just getting getting yeah. me very mad. I think we've because I, uh, I I've just spent the last couple of minutes here like cradling my head in my hands thinking about Jerry Lawler. So let's let let's let's, let's, talk... do, let's do wonders for the sound quality. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let let's talk about the two wonderful wrestlers in the ring who are yeah. trying trying their best to make chicken in, salad out of chicken. Chip. In fairness, like um the yeah yeah in fairness the crowd are into this. It kind of reminds me of the um. The Great Sasuke versus Takamichinoku match from Canadian Stampede 1997, in which these two Japanese lads come out and the crowd has no fucking clue who they are and they get over just by being doing cool shit. So Asari's opening salvo is a, a double handspring mule kick. Just to throw it out there. Like, so like first first day of wrestling I school. Mean, the fact that this is in like fucking nineteen ninety five WWF, just a raw one time, just turn it on. First move, this, and you're. It, it's just the main yeah. boggle to how that it's just worlds apart from anything it's else. When you've spent the rest brilliant. of the show, like, desperately trying to find, like, the one decent wrestling move on the show because so much of it is so stayed and done by sort of giant men who can't really move, and, you know, this is. It, 
the, these women come out there and, to be honest, I think in some ways they're helped by the fact that you don't necessarily need to be hugely invested in the characters to understand this story. Yes. Because as wrestling psychology goes, this is textbook. Yeah. Well done, Lynn. Um, it's, uh, it, it, really, it really is one of... If this is an A-plus squash match... I say yeah. squash match. Come on, we all know who's winning this. Um, Arja Kong, she shrugs off the, the double handspring mule kicks, grabs Chaparita aside by the hair, just chucks her around for a bit, kicks her very, very stiffly in the back. Um, Vince McMahon plugs AOL chat, which um, I, the times. I popped so hard for the uh, those two beautiful words, America Online. Um, and uh, Arja very heavily re- uh, relies upon what... I can't see this spot now without uh, Kevin Mann from the Attitude Era podcast um, doing an impression of the Undertaking. Oh, go on, school! You know, when they um, when they pin them and then they let them up by the head, it's like, oh, no, 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 no. Um, so uh, she lets her up by her head from a pin after a vertical suplex and again after a spinning package pile driver. Yeah, which comes about two minutes into the match, by the way. Again, like, joining the pantheon of moves that... I did not know had been invented by 1995, but I should have suspected because, as we all know, pretty much every move you like was invented by a Japanese woman about a decade before you think it was. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, when do you think the last time was that WWE yes. let anyone get away with this shit? Yeah, that that is true. I mean, um, it's kind of like the Luchadors used to be in WCW where they're like, you got five minutes, cool, do you care what moves we do? No, go nuts. Um, and uh, there's a big splash from Arja Kong, she lets Chaparita up again. Vince is absolutely apoplectic um, at this point. Arja Kong blocks a drop kick and then um, does some uh, sexy dancing. For, this gets a lot of heat because if there's one thing 90s American wrestling fans hate more than the Japanese, it's large women showing sexuality. We, we can't be having that. Not, not in wrestling. Um, she misses a top rope splash, which pretty good that she misses because Chaparita Asari would... Uh, she would be she would be goo. That is the only way to describe it. Yeah, I think it's probably be- that is probably best for everyone. But there's some really interesting spots in this where Asari comes pretty close to getting some quite believable hope spots, and the crowd actually really gets behind her. Yeah, like I mean, the the one we should talk about uh, most is the. Um, I say Sky Twister press. She actually does another half rotation, and so it turns it's... into more of a spiral tap, which. It's insane, like, to me, that just that this match, not only was this, like, a, just a random squash match, but in the squash match, the jobber decided at this point, yes, I'm going to just pull a, a, a spiral yeah. tap. Yeah, absolutely. And the best the best thing is, they're that busy talking amongst themselves and shilling AOL and talking about the main event, that uh, <sighs> this spiral tap gets pulled out randomly in the middle of the, in the middle of this match. The commentators don't notice. Jerry Lawler Not pit. until the replay, when they finally go, oh, wow, that was that came out of nowhere, or something like that. They don't even acknowledge what the move was. Jerry, they literally Jerry just Lawler, go, oh, that happened. Jerry Lawler's paying an uncharacteristically small amount of attention to tiny females here. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. With this, I mean, there's one there's one point where Aja, like, just full-on punts aside. It's... Across the ring, as in, like, she punched her in the back, and I'm not joking, she slides about half a foot across yeah. the ring from, like, it was a full on, um, a, a full on Jorg Alberts penalty <laughs> kick right to the back, and sent, like, 
I, I didn't even know that somebody could move that It's far ridiculous. From getting punted in the back. It is insane. The, like, the velocity on, yeah, on Asari, because, like, when she does the spiral tap, it's not like a sort of graceful arc. She just fucking twizzles, like, so fast in the air that, like, yeah, when we saw it, Sarah was like, was that a spiral tap? And I was like, I think it was a sky twist of press, but we had to look at the replay. Yeah. Like, just to know what the fuck it was. Yeah, and like that, um, that that's that spinning package pile driver as well. Oh, I mean, God. like, it, it is it is vomit inducing. It is horrific. I I couldn't believe it. I it's just the one of the most horrific things I've ever seen. With with absolute gay abandon, just dropping her on her heads like Jesus Christ, man. Like I I think, and I'm probably not the only person to have said this. I think we've talked about it before. Is that actually a package pile driver is is probably a safer version of a pile driver? Yeah, it is. At least, yeah, you've got at least you've got control of their limbs, but also there's there's not a lot of breathing space there for for poor old Chaparita's head. No, is there? It, it, straight it's, down. It's a it's a safer one, but it, but it looks worse. It's the best of both worlds. David, you said it's the it's one of the it uh, gave you the boke, as you Scotchmen like to say. Um, it, yeah. It's one of the most terrific things you've ever seen until that is the finish when <laughs> oh, God, um, Arja Kong oh, gives um, uh, Chaparita Asari an incredibly incredibly violent Urukan smashes her nose right across her face um, quality over quantity in this match yeah. whereas, like, where you got like a hundred spinning back fists in the last match she combines all a hundred spinning back fists into one spinning back fist and I'm not joking I was stunned that Chaparita Sari's head was still on <laughs> yeah. her shoulders she's going to end up like the guy in scanners <laughs> like um... well the thing is you've seen you've seen this person also get ragdolled for quite a few for, for quite a few minutes by a woman like several times her size and she then still managed to get up and do a spiral tap and then she she just keeps getting up all the way through and then you've got to be like oh no Come on, come on. She's definitely gone at this point because that it had to look nasty enough to make you believe she wasn't going to get up and do another sky twisty press. Yeah. Um. So the I mean the aftermath of uh, of this match. Now you're, you're probably wondering. So what about this uh, Alundra Blaze Arja Kong uh, women's title match that this match was building to? Well, <sighs> there was no such title match because Vincent Mann, having watched this match, was just like, nah, send her back to Japan. Like this is too violent. I don't want women wrestling like this. This is it's insane because, like with this, I mean, you were saying about how you thought the Alundra Blaze Bill Nakano match was the best like women's match up until the Divas Revolution. I disagree. I think it was this. <laughs> wow. I, 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 this is my favorite match. Uh, maybe apart from the cage match, this is this is my favorite. I, I love this so. Can you think? Because I was sitting racking my brains for about ten fifteen minutes after this. I think the part of the appeal is is that literally anyone could watch this match. Not even a wrestling fan. My dad could watch this match. And he yeah. would love yeah. it because there, there is, there, there is a tangible quality where something just becomes so ridiculously brutal, but not in that sort of sadistic serial killer like tube razor blades, you no know, cut, cut can board death match. Sorry, where somebody's just like just absolutely getting a pasting where there's a there's a there's just a very human quality to it where anybody can watch this and appreciate the fact that someone's getting yeah. their ass kicked. Apart from. I don't even know if this happened on Raw, to be honest. It might not have, but... I, I, there must have been some sort of, like, really long Triple H Ric Flair cosplay 25-minute match during the the interminable regime uh, when he was a world champion, like, ad infinitum, where there was tons of blood and stuff like that. But can you think of a more violent match on Raw than this? Because I can't. 
Really Certainly not in 1995 when they were going very family friendly, um, uh, yeah, almost to a fault. I mean, I I would have been great if we'd recorded this on Sunday because I do say that Braun Strowman literally dropped a piano on Elias <laughs> yesterday. So I mean, that wait, did he? In terms of just horrific, yes, he did. He just dropped. Did a did piano did, on him. did like Elias open his mouth and like his teeth have been replaced by piano keys because that's usually what happened in the cartoons. You've been watching too much Tom and Jerry. Or not enough. Or not enough. Yeah. This this is just an absolute wondrous you know sight for me this is like you know watching the sunrise and the sunset um, or like watching like starlings in a formation flock over the sky this is just beauty incarnate i love this match so much and i like i, I don't think we can physically put into words just how horrifically brutal this match is and honestly if you have any passing interest in wrestling not even women's wrestling or any if you have any passing interest in have a wwe network or even going to youtube you need to watch this because fuck me this was just life affirming i love this so much i mean after and after you've come to terms with the the beauty of the image that david has set forth before you um we'll just to let you know that in a couple of years' time, WWF would have completely pasted its entire women's division all over again because once Alundra Blaze had uh, done that thing with the title and they didn't have her to build a division around anymore, they sort of gave up. So within sort of maybe one or two years of this, probably as little as one year of this, WWF had given up. Medusa was in WCW, where, by the way, she was having like five minute matches with Akira Hokuto because WCW did the exact same thing with her. Yeah, that's that's basically it for fucking hell. It was a it was a grim time. But um, and then we entered the stable years. Uh, let's let's yeah. Let's not. Yeah. I, I would pay good money to have an Azure Kong versus Sable match. I think that would be wonderful. Just in get the get Firepo up, David. <laughs> <laughs> that would possibly be one of the one of the funniest and also one of the most dis, you know supremely distressing things a human being could can, see. Can Can Arja Kong also wrestle marvelous Mark Merrow afterwards? She's a better wrestler than I'm. So. <laughs> well, so, so am I. To be fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. But can um, you deliver a motivational speech like him? <laughs> yeah, give, give give me a few pints. Anyway, um, the so next the, the the thing. Uh, Probably also within maybe a year or two of this as well, Aja Kong was basically at the end of her AJW career. Um, so because, um, as we talked about um, at one point on the previous episodes, AJW had such a turnover of women that basically they had a mandatory retirement age of 26 for quite a long time. So that basically they retired women out of the promotion. Uh, and what a lot of them did, because they didn't take too kindly to basically being told that 26, which is younger than I am now, that they were sort of washed up and done. Most of them either went off and formed their own promotions or went freelance or did both. And Arja is a classic example of, of doing that. She went off and she formed a promotion called... How do we pronounce it? Arshian? I'm going with that. Arshian? Arshian. A-R-S-I-O-N. Listeners, please come and correct us. I'm sure you will. Come quickly, detective, there's been an ocean at the Marine Piad. Oh, God. Um, So, um, the other thing, actually, as well as the whole age thing, was that uh, AJW, around about 1996, 1997, was suffering some very serious financial problems, Mm. which contributed towards the... uh, the, a lot of wrestlers leaving, like you said, to form their own promotions. And um, one of these promotions being the uh, one we're about to talk about uh, this match, which is a promotion called Gare, which I mentioned before, which was... um, 
founded by Chikis Nagayo, who you remember from uh, episode eight, one of the greatest uh, wrestlers of all time. And um, this was based... Gare is an amazing promotion in that the roster they had was a mixture of... It had the current stars of the 90s, legends from the 80s, and also people who would uh, go on to have great success in the 2000s, and many of whom are um, even uh, wrestling today. Like, it's uh, it's an absolutely fabulous roster, and they ran some uh, great shows. Uh, the match we're going to talk about is one of their all-time classic matches, and probably the match that put Arja Kong's opponent in this bout on the map. So, uh, it's uh, 15th of September, 1999. It is for Gare's top title, the AAAW Championship. I see what you did there. Uh, Arja Kong is the champion, of course, and she is defending it against um, Wigan's number one fan, Mako Satomura. <laughs> Mako's on fire, and Arja Kong is terrified. <laughs> so, um, Gaia had something really special at this point. They did. Because it, this is, um, for, for Arja is essentially at this point in kind of the, the, the second act of her career, pretty much. So she's gone off, you know, she's having her own promotion, but all the women who went off and formed their own promotions were also still supporting each other as well, and they would still appear on each other's shows, and, you know, they would be big draws for each other and for themselves. So Arja regularly appeared on, on Gare, and she she's appeared in promotions like Diana that were also founded by sort of AJW alumni. Um, and Mako, since then, as we've kind of talked about, has continued that tradition because she is now the owner trainer promoter of sendai girls which is pretty much my favorite wrestling promotion in the world at the minute uh, interesting fact about the diana promotion is it is also known as the people's promotion so <laughs> <laughs> uh, you see all of the jokes that i have in my head will 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 send me to hell and i don't want to make them I Can mean, I? It, it didn't last long. It seemed to be it was like a candle in the wind that promotion. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so this match, um, the, this match, Arja Kong is champion in Gaia at the time, whilst Chikisa Nagaya is kind of in the background, being the Booker and the general sort of queen of things. Uh, um, Mako is. 19 at this point or yeah. something like that isn't she so she's very very young um although you know she would be a grizzled veteran by the standards of of most joshi i think she'd only been wrestling a couple of years at this point uh she made a debut when she was 15 okay so, so she's yeah, a four year pro four years um four years but she's obviously you can start to see now seeing where mako is now you can see the beginnings of that in this match, you even sort of the beginning is of her ring gear. She's got the basic, the colours and the design down, um, and her wrestling style is kind of already there. She's very kind of strike focused, but it's really interesting to see kind of badass, solid. I wouldn't want to cross you at any time, day or night, much less in a dark alley. Mako Satomura versus kind of earnest young, try really hard rookie, standing up against this giant veteran, immovable object in this match. Um, so you'll notice that this is actually becoming a bit of a theme after the Asari match as well, that Arja Kong is the solid, immovable, giant object that smaller women spend their entire careers trying to overthrow. Because, to be honest, there isn't really anybody, there haven't been many women, certainly, who've been at her kind of size and her dimensions. She is always your bigger, stronger, overpowering, intimidating woman. The entrances do a really good job of uh, accentuating this, actually. Yeah. Mako comes out to uh, rock your life away, absolute banger, but needs a donk on it. Um, and then um, Arja comes out to uh, 
to her amazing uh, Judas Priest song. But um, before she comes out, you can kind of see her outline, the outline of her and a bin. Um, can't forget the bin through the smoke and uh, you can just see a silhouette it's a really cool visual then she comes out with what must be the biggest fucking title belt I've ever seen in my life it's gigantic that, that thing that thing is fucking huge like um, she's a big woman it looks like oversized on her so like probably drowned like most of the people who actually held this it's, title it's actually reconstituted from the belt that Andrew was going to get um, if he uh, won at Wrestlemania 3 probably <laughs> It's probably for the best that Mako didn't win it, because if she tried to put it on, it would have sort of, like, compressed her. She'd have nothing. to wrap it round to, like, twice, like, double wrap. <laughs> the, 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 other, the other thing before we get into this match is that uh, this, was a, this was a hell of a big crowd. Uh, not, not, like, up there with the big AJW crowds, but for uh, late 90s Joji, getting uh, 6,500 people in the building uh, was quite the thing. The main event was uh, the Crush Girls Explode. I think it was their first match against each other for nearly a decade. Um, yeah, so Chief Ch- Sunagaya, um, obviously owner of the company, yeah. and her former tag partner, Lioness Asuka. Um, each of them we saw wrestling independently at the Budokan Hall show in 1985. Um, eventually, their tag team split and they wrestled each other in 1989. Uh, and that was a headline event at a very significant stadium show this was the first time that that match had happened since so it was still pretty much a it was a twice in a lifetime event not unlike you know those those that other one twice in a lifetime thing that happened once but that was Sarah we promise we wouldn't talk about it (laughs) um am I right in saying that the tagline for that event was once in a lifetime again like (laughs) No, I wish I, I wish I wish it had been. That would have been great. The other thing about that Chikasa versus Asuka match actually is that uh, Chikasa, far from being the beloved babyface of uh, 1985, is in shithead heel throwing fireballs in people's faces mode. It's really fucking great. I would uh, recommend checking it out. But we're getting a bit off topic. Um, uh, Sarah, do you want to uh, do you want to tell us what the first line of your notes is? I mean. All it says, it's nothing significant. It's just the words in block capitals, I love Mako Satomura so much. We Um, all love Mako Satomura so much. We really do. I don't really have much else to add to that. I just think one day we'll do a separate episode of Mako Satomura matches, and if you don't, then I will when I'm eventually running my own nefarious podcast that's taking over the world. I mean, I keep telling you to do it. Like, it would be good. What, me taking over the world? I think it'd be great. Well, I could be your... uh... Now, I was going to say the Prince Philip to your queen. No, I'm not a cunt like Prince Philip, so... Uh... <laughs> Debatable. <laughs> not a racist cunt like Prince Philip. Yeah. So, Arja, at this point, uh, is doing a, a real stint in Gaia, actually. She's in the middle of a reign that's like 600 days or, or something insane like that. Um, I don't necessarily think that seeing sort of young, earnest, singlet-wearing Mako come out, anyone necessarily believes that she's gonna that, that she's gonna walk out with the strap so to speak but act, but actually they come as near as damn it during the course of this match to actually starting to make you think that not only has is this definitely you know a really solid prospect for the future but that she might actually pull out the big one the the one thing i will say this is um one of the best paced matches i have ever seen like uh, the moves are good as well but what really makes it is that it's basically the last match kind of uh, writ large in that there is a huge amount of dominance by the big monster heel in the early going and gradually 
the babyface worms their way back back into the match. And by the end of it, they're virtually exchanging uh, move for move. And you really begin to believe that uh, Mako can actually win it. I mean, the the start is kind of... She does a, she gets a few moves in. Like, there's a... Uh, she manages to pull off an arm drag on Arja Kong at the start, which is, uh, which is uh, very good. And Arja kind of... Um, Kicks out and then sort of smothers her like a uh, Manny Yaba in that uh, in that Pride fight that we uh, that we reviewed the the, the old Jaws spot um, which is which is very good and um, the uh, she uh, kicks Mako in the back which sends her scurrying towards the ropes on her knees which is uh, often a spot you would associate with cowardly heels but Mako sort of makes it a uh, uh, more of a, a sympathetic thing. Um, the uh, the calf kicks in this match are fucking horrendous. Oh god, yeah, just. Arjo is Arjo is really good at targeting specific parts of people's legs. Like she goes after Nakano's thigh repeatedly and brutally. Uh, in this one, she really goes. She tries to really take the legs out from under Mako as well. Yeah, yeah, like she really does try to kick her leg out of her leg. Um, and uh, these are the kind of leg kicks they would have. Uh, Anderson Silva's uh, leg would have snapped in more than two pieces um, if he'd have even attempted kicks this hard. Um, the... Well, Mako's already establishing herself as a quite strike-heavy wrestler as yes. well. So, although she's early in her career, Arja obviously knows enough about her to know that she needs to stop. She needs to take away her base and her striking power in in her legs. Yeah, and uh, and then she just after that she just starts hitting some. Uh, Big moves. Uh, there's a uh, she has her up in a pile driver position for ages before dropping her with a really brutal one. And then we get the thing that makes me believe Mako Satomura, you are destined for babyface uh, stardom. Not to not to uh, do a pun. And that is Mako Satomura does the Joshi Bridge. Yes. The Joshi Bridge kick out. Oh, uh, I love a good Joshi Bridge kick out. <laughs> the ultimate babyface move, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Like, the fact that you could roll your shoulder over, but instead you're going to prove your fighting spirit by doing a neck bridge out of it, especially with someone Arja's size on top of you, that, uh, in kayfabe, that's going to take a lot of guts. Yeah. If anything, though, I think that it almost enrages Arja further, because, <laughs> because so much of this match, especially in the early days, definitely feels like she's almost, she's punishing Mako for almost daring to stand up to her. And she's just like, I'm going to put you back down where you belong. So every time Mako comes fighting back at her, Arja just gets madder. There's a there's a bril- there's a really fun moment somewhere in here where Arja basically Mako's on the floor and Arja is just sort of arguing with the ref about something. I think she's being overly brutal or something. And she just she, she takes a break from him to turn around, punch Mako in the face when she start when, when she starts standing up, knocks Mako down, goes back to arguing with the ref. <laughs> It's, just it's, carries on, just carries on with her plan. She she refuses to give Mako any quarter whatsoever. She's basically a fly buzzing around Galactus's uh, Galactus's brow. Like um, there's there's also like a great bit with um, uh, basically any time Mako will hit a few strikes and Arja will just floor with one. Like I've got here the sentence Mako fires back with ineffectual forearms, which is never something you could say about Mako nowadays. Because her kayfabe power level has just gone through the fucking roof. Um, and there's also some enjoyably brutal counters. Um, I, I, not counters with finesse, but enjoyably brutal ones. Uh, a point which Mako goes for a springboard forearm, just gets kicked out of the air. That's pretty great. And uh, the one which always makes me cringe whenever I see it, even now. Um, Mako goes for her top rope splash and Arjakon counters. Not by putting her knees up, as is usually the case when you're trying to counter a top rope splash. But by just 
um, doing a sort of a leg raise so that Mako's uh, stomach comes down directly on the soles of Aja Kong's feet. God. And then Mako bounces off and flies halfway across the ring. That is absolutely horrendous. It looks absolutely... It looks terrible. It really does. Aja, at this point, I think she's at a point in her career where she has definitely... She's accepted and she's really leaned in on the fact that her almost her reputation goes before her and now she if ever she wrestled like a big woman she really ups the ante once she gets into this sort of time of her career she really starts using her weight in ways that she didn't necessarily before so you get you you get moments like that but at the same time you also get for example there's something quite scary about watching her do sort of foot stomps straight to Mako's gut because like there's nowhere for that for that weight to go other than straight through Mako's admittedly rock hard abs. Yeah, yeah, like we know Mako's incredibly shape and she does incredible shape and she does like bodybuilding competitions and that. You would need to have rock hard abs to like uh, cope with this. Jesus Christ. Well, I I was gonna mention actually like we were talking about how um, Ash is using her weight more effectively in terms of her wrestling. I found it with this that I found that the the general flow for me was that and this isn't meant to sound as an insult, it's actually like it's not a, a detriment at all where um as like Mako looks as she's putting her heart and soul into this match, she's putting everything she has and is like, you know, really um in like a, you know, a higher gear. Whereas Azure's offense never feels like she gets out of second gear, if you know what I mean. Like it's yeah, all very yeah. effortless, and you know she's just, you know, she is just, um, she she's just going through, you know, like the idea is that this this pest is annoying her, and she can just do her normal moves and just wipe them out. Whereas they have to try ten times as hard to even lay a scratch on her. Oh yeah, I'm sure that I'm sure that's intentional. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I do think it starts to ramp up towards the end of the match, actually, yeah. because Mako keeps kicking out, and Aja is increasingly offended at the fact that she is still breathing. So yeah. she, she really, she gets, she tries harder and harder, and she gets more and more frustrated with these desperate attempts to put Mako down. She does a fucking suicide dive at, uh, well, a suicide dive following a, a backdrop driver, which was uh, pretty mad, and... Uh, it's not now. It's not the most graceful suicide dive I've ever seen, but doesn't need to be. It doesn't need to be exactly. There is something incredibly terrifying about seeing just a big hunk of humanity coming towards you, just barreling like the fucking boulder from Raiders of the Lost Ark, and you know that once they get to your position, you're going to be absolutely crushed. In the same way that when Akira Tawe or uh, Stan Hansen uh, did a suicide dive. That's right. Stan Hansen did suicide dives on occasion. It was just like. Shit, they're coming towards you. Yeah, <laughs> you um, do. it reminded me a lot of Samoa Joe. Um, ever his yeah. suicide dives, but um, yeah. I thought that Asha did a lot better. I actually wrote my notes. Asha teases a dive for three exclamation marks. Backdrop driver. Asha does a dive for three exclamation <laughs> oh, yeah. marks. Oh yeah, it's like um, Asha teases a dive, like as if that's the amazing thing. It's like when um, at King of Cheers last year, when uh, Johnny Moss, the big. The big, basically, just Johnny Moss is a load of bowling balls with like some skin uh, uh, stretched around. He's an absurdly He's a muscly, muscly, man. muscly man. And uh, there'd been a big sequence of dives, and everyone in the crowd started chanting, Mossy, do a flip, Mossy, Mossy, do a flip, as if we're thinking, oh, lol, imagine if he actually did. Then he just did a plancher over the top rope, <laughs> and the place absolutely exploded. It's kind of like that. 
<laughs> but I mean, at the same time, you've got really nice movements where moments where things like that then get turned on their heads. So you've got there's this great spot where Arja goes for this like flying crossbody, and Mako just subtly repositions herself so that she can grab Arja's arm and counter it into an armbar. Yeah, that is that is done so smoothly because Mako mm. does like that spot. I've never seen it just be all in one flew of motion such as that. That was really fucking great. Mm. And then. Mako gets Arja up for a Death Valley driver. It's so, oh my God, like they build towards it pretty well as well because there's uh, times at which she tries it and then just gets lariated and uh, then tries it again, but Arja just punches her in the leg. And <laughs> it's just like, um, it's it's it's, re- it's really good stuff. Like I think the, um, the first time actually, uh, it's just following a bit where they're on the top rope and uh, they... I don't know. I can never tell if this is a botch or not because Mako covers for it so well that I'm actually not sure where she goes for the sunset flip power bomb and kind of yeah. um, she uh, loses her grip on Arja and then just does a German off the top and like she did it so smoothly. I'm genuinely not sure if she meant to um, because they do do the uh, the sunset flip power bomb later in the match and, and pull it off. Mm. So I'm genuinely I'm genuinely not sure. Um, the uh, Death Valley uh, Death Valley Driver or, or Death Valley Bomb, if you want to call it that, only gets two. Um, Arjun misses an Urican and uh, then gets a low kick and then one of the most disgusting brain busters I've uh, I've ever seen in my life, right on the top of her head. Oh, that was nasty. Um, then there's really good stuff again, like. Mako's blocks an Urukan with a. <laughs> this is brilliant. Mako blocks an Urukan with her forearms, but the velocity is such that it still knocks her down. <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah. There's also an awesome one where she just catches she just catches Ar- Arja's arm when she's doing the Urican and she just catches it and then transitions it into an armbar. Yeah. Mako's been always been very good at turning people's offense into armbars. <laughs> I mean, when you do an armbar as, as well as she does, that's the great that's the why why not? And the other thing is that when Arja Kong does hit the Urican, Mako has actually managed to wear her down so much that she can't capitalize. And go for the pin. It's at that that point really does a lot to make you believe that uh, Mako can actually uh, can actually win it. Um, sadly, she doesn't. Um, uh, Arja hits a desperation hurricane and a sleeper. Mako gets out of the sleeper and then gets an hurricane to the back of the head. Oh no! <laughs> oh. I, that's that's the other thing. Like shots to the back of the head. Like oh man. Yeah, and then a really good uh, submission. But Arja hits the rear naked choke, and the ref checks on Mako, but she's. They do the whole, um, like, raise your hand twice, and then the third one's like, oh, she's still... You may recognise this from every Hulk Hogan match ever. Um, <laughs> eventually, uh, Mako rolls towards the ropes, hits the... Mako hits the Pele kick, which uh, she does... Uh, I refuse to pronounce it Pele. Pele is the correct pronunciation. Wrestling told me so. so I was actually stunned here, because, as we've already mentioned in this episode, like, uh, Joshi Wrestle has invented every move ever, and, again, I didn't know that the Pele kick was a thing before, like, AJ Styles or whatever. So, um, yeah, she just... At first, she did it, and I think she missed, and I was like, was she trying a Pele kick? No, surely not. And then, sure enough, <laughs> bang, Pele kick. I, yeah. I don't. I don't think that she was the innovator of this either. I think it's. All, I, I think it. I think it does predate her. Did Mildred well, Burke it, do one? I'm. I'm reasonably confident Mildred Burke did not do one, but she was big on her airplane spins. I know that much. The, I mean, I. I want to know if if Mako called it the Pele kick. Like we know she's a football fan, or at least she has accepted the hospitality of the Vagata Sendai team on uh, on uh, more than one occasion, um, and. 
Yeah, that was, that was the thing. Like, I think the thing, the last thing she did in Japan before coming over to uh, uh, the UK for uh, the the She Won tournament was like she just had afternoon tea at Vegalta Sendai. <laughs> I did not know they offered that service. Me for Satomura getting hospitality tickets. What a time to be alive. And uh, the fi- the finish comes after said uh, Pele kick when uh, Arja just explodes out the corner with a running Urken, and uh, that gets three. Which I'd never seen before, by the way. I've never seen her do that. No, it really it does seem like she's had to pull something really special out uh, to win the match. Strangely enough, despite the fact the absolute punishment that they've given each other, I still felt felt it was like a flash knockout. If you know what I mean, like it just came out of nowhere, just gone like that. That was the second she hit it. You knew that's it done. It kind of reminded me of um, uh, Hokuto Kandori from uh, from uh, Dream Slam, which is the the same kind of abrupt finish. A uh, slightly different one, but like it basically, like yeah, th- that's the final strike of the match. It just it just came out of nowhere. I mean, talk about uh, Mako Satomura. Talk talk about putting someone over in defeat. Like yeah. this was an absolute star-making performance from Mako in the same way that uh, in 1988 Sting didn't beat Ric Flair, but in that one night it made it made him look as though he was on his level. Mm-hmm. Also, I mean the the focus of our episode here being Arja as well. We've talked we've talked so much about about Mako, but this match isn't just one person either. Not like at all. Arja, Arja, absolutely. She has her fantastic spots. She has her moments. She's obviously an incredible wrestler, and you see the way that she she puts these matches together as well. But more than anything, at this point, it's almost like her presence is enough to make it a match. Like she she has so much charisma, and she's so intimidating at this point. You know that this match is serious before before the bell is rung. You know it from the minute that she stares them down. And and she makes it feel... The object of this match is absolutely to keep Arja looking strong, yeah. but also to establish Mako. And both of those things succeed brilliantly because she gives absolutely no quarter. But she also... She was willing to sell for opponents when it felt needed. Uh, when you think about... Numerous other, say, around about 1999, how many other aces and top people in promotions were being willing to sort of sell for people. Well, indeed, yes. <laughs> you know, she, you know, she's she's always been quite a quite giving in that respect, in that she knows when it matters, she'll sell for, but she she can sell for people and she can make smaller people look like stars. Yeah. Well, there was a really interesting point I wanted to note about this is at the end. Now, I don't know if this happens in many other Azure Kong matches, because it's not something I've ever seen, but then again, I'm not the most avid Azure Kong watcher. Um, but I noticed at the end, like, the match, her face paint was completely gone, not like in a sort of sting way where it kind of flashed yeah. off. It was all completely gone and she just looked like a normal woman if you know what i mean and i love the symbolic yeah, measure yeah. of like azure's pain basically her being reduced from being this monster to showing her as an actual like human being like you know yeah that's, if that, that had been deliberate it would have been beautiful as it is i i'm sure she was just very sweaty um that, that's the thing that's the other thing to note yeah we said about how good she is in this match the three matches we have discussed so far have all been very different from each other We've had a, a brutal bloody brawl with weapons. We've had a, a, a nasty brutish and short squash match. And now we've had a really great epic style big match. And it's so epic, in fact, that um, you get it's got all the all the grandeur at the end. I love the celebrations as well. The belt, the trophy, the certificate and the blankety-blank commemorative checkbook and pen that she got at the end. <laughs> uh, Gare always did spectacle oh, really well. So good, yeah. It, it just felt like such a big deal. 
Like, and it was such a big deal. And like, yeah, it was executed perfectly. So for our final match, now as for what, uh, we're jumping forward quite a few years, but as for what Arja Kong did next, uh, she really sort of went round the houses in terms of promotions. Arshin folded um, sometime in the mid two thousands, I think. So did Gaia, and um, so she basically went freelance and uh, I think made uh, Mayumi Miyazaki's uh, Oz Academy promotion her her home. Although Arja Kong turned up for uh, for so many different uh, Joshi promotions and uh, also also for DDT. Uh, sort of playing on her uh, reputation as, uh, you know, a, a monster and a grizzled old vet uh, to, to great humorous effect. Famously singing in, the National uh, Anthem at uh, the Tokyo Dome. Yes, absolutely. And uh, also um, her appearances in uh, Hustle. I mean, you can generally assume if a wrestler was famous in Japan, they were in his Hustle at some point. She um, had uh, a tag team with um, uh, Amazing Kong, who would become later Awesome Kong in uh, TNA and then Karma in WWE, uh, who were a regular tag team um, in, uh, in Gaia. Um, weirdly mm-hmm. enough, they uh, they promoted them as sort of like sort of kawaii women in like sort of weird makeup and like these sort of brightly coloured dresses. Hustle was fucking weird, guys. And the name, incidentally, for Amazing Kong, who we know under so many names. I love this story so and, much. And who is having, she's having a really great sort of career renaissance at the minute because she's in Glow on Netflix. Which well. I literally and finished I'm, I'm yesterday. Really... I, 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 yeah, oh, did you really? really, really, really good. Nice. What was your experience of Amazing Kong in Glow? Uh, it took me it took me a wee bit to realise I was like, is that it? because there's so many cameos that I've just sitting there trying to figure them all out. There's like tons of them and yeah, like it, I she, I thought she was really good. Um I think they were all really good. Um yeah, it was it was a really, really good show. I was talking about it with a with a with a mate actually, because I was like, to see all the cameos then, to see Carlito. Yes. And he was like, Where was Car where was Carlito? He was like, Oh, he was uh, such and such his um uh, boyfriend and he was like Oh, I didn't realise that was Carlito. I was like, he was carrying an apple for fuck's yeah, sake. Yeah, did I, to be fair. Like, I was sitting, and it was like, really? I, knew, I knew the other one was obviously Brodus Clay. Uh, he was calling everybody's mama and all that. And um, uh, Fox News pundit Tyler. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I was like, I know this other person. Who the hell is he? Why does he get such shit hair? And then I googled it. Oh, yes, it's Carlito. That's why he's got shit hair. Uh, <laughs> five-star wrestling star Carlito Caribbean Stool. That's Sarah's name for him. <laughs> I've stolen it. I'm sorry. She just shot me a look. <laughs> <laughs> did they? Did you see that they have cancelled their show in Aberdeen um, on Thursday um, for the inclement weather, i.e., really bad ticket sales as ever. <laughs> yeah, like mm. I mean, it's it's real weird. You book you book like you know the the Press and Journal Arena in Aberdeen, which is like many many thousands worth of capacity, and like Iron Maiden are playing there, and suddenly you can't seem to fill it like Iron Maiden. So. Um, thank God that weather had came along, guys. Eh, you know it'd have been very embarrassing if like eighty people had turned up. <laughs> it really would. So, um, so Amazing Kong. Just, yeah. just going back to her, Amazing oh, yes. Kong or Awesome Kong, as she has variously been known, um, star of Netflix's Glow. Um, originally got her start when she was being brought out to Japan. Arja Kong had been booked for some shows. Um, Arja Kong was not on those shows. And, but they'd already advertised it as A Kong on the match Amazing. card. So they were like, you know, we've you're here now. We're just gonna announce you as like 
a Kong. <laughs> so she ended up being like amazing Kong, awesome Kong. Uh, she she wrestled under both at various points. But yeah, literally, she was brought in to be a, a last-minute replacement for a Kong and therefore took on that Ch- name as well. Chigasana guy, you big fucking carny. Is that, is that a Kong as in, so lonely, I'm so lonely. Stop. Stop, for the love of everything good in the uh, does world. That, does Stop. that mean that all those trialists you see in pre-season friendlies are either named Amazing or Awesome? A trialist. <laughs> awesome trialist uh, gets to go. <laughs> there were no awesome trialists. No. <laughs> so, um, so I, yeah, I, I think the, the other thing that that's interesting about that as well is that it it highlights in a lot of ways the, the lineage that Arja Kong has to the other big women that we've seen in in wrestling over those years as well because uh she you know uh, amazing kong was brought in essentially because in some ways they thought well she's the nearest replacement we can get to arja kong because she was a bigger black woman yeah exactly uh, and, uh, and in some ways i think that arja casts such a long shadow over the wrestling industry because without her i'm not necessarily saying that there wouldn't be a, you know big mm. bigger women in wrestling but i think she's certainly given them a template and she's given a she's given a proven formula of look this this works uh, and she's been so influential on so many women who basically women of, of all kinds of shapes and sizes who don't necessarily fit what we've previously thought of as being the kind yeah. of the, the the professional wrestler type yeah, amongst I'm, the women I, I think she she really does sort of set the tone for so many of the, the women who've come after her. And I find it really hard to imagine Nia Jax mm. without an Arja Kong or a yeah. Bumakana somewhere in her history. Yeah, you should, I mean, you should, yeah, you shouldn't miss the sort of uh, racialised connotations of, uh, of the name Arja Kong, which... Oh, no, that's which, deliberate. It, yeah, I mean, th- this... The connotation should be very obvious to you, unless you're the sort of alt-right fuck knuckle who may not be able to convince you that white genocide exists, but could maybe convince you that it might be a good idea after all. So um, now we're moving on to um, our final match, which is uh, the promotion we um, mentioned earlier. Because seeing as Arja Kong is coming to the UK, uh, you may wonder: I mean, can she still go? She's forty-seven years old, after all. Well, we have chosen a match. Uh, from Meiko Satomura's promotion, Sendai Girls, from the uh, 6th of April, 2017. And it's Arja Kong defending the uh, Sendai Girls World Championship. So not only is she still wrestling, uh, she is still winning titles. And uh, she is um, wrestling against the challenger, one of uh, one of our favourite wrestlers, uh, Chihiro Hashimoto. Big match hash. Big match hash, yes. This is, I've just got the words Hoss Battle uh, written uh, on my notes in big capital letters. Chihiro's mm. a very different kind of host, though. She is, she yes. Is a, you know, Arja Kong very much has that lumbering... Uh, well, lumbering's not quite the word because she still moves with an awful lot of agility and grace, but she, she comes across as being a very kind of... The, the bigger, very much like a... Almost like a boulder of a woman who yeah. comes in and, you you know, you'll struggle to outwork her, but actually she's just gigantic. She's just gigantic and she could stop you with a shoulder block and you'd go rolling for miles. Yeah. Chihiro is very much more... She's similar in that she doesn't fit that aesthetic of what we associate with a lot of the Japanese promotions now. You know, she certainly doesn't look like she certainly doesn't look like Kyrie like Kyrie Hojo or Oreo Shirai. What she does have is a she's a bit bigger. She's not particularly tall, but she's a bit bigger, and she is built because she's actually she's an athlete. She's a strong kind of professional am- sort of amateur style wrestler yeah she was a top amateur wrestler that. yeah and she brings that and she's she's built in 
more along the lines of how we expect a lot of male wrestlers to look in that we don't yeah. expect them we don't expect them to be skinny we expect them to have you know a bit we expect them to carry a bit of, of muscle about them as well yeah yeah Chihu Hashimoto's biceps are fucking ridiculous oh yeah they're insane like um I mean the background to this match is that Chihu Hashimoto is um she's uh she made her debut in um November 2015 so she's really not been wrestling uh, very long and uh, one of her first big singles matches was against uh, Arja Kong. She's only a few months into her career at this point. In Japan, if there was a particularly hotly touted rookie, uh, or even any rookie at all, they fucking love making them wrestle like like real big stars. In the same way, you know, um, Leona, the uh, useless scion of the Fujin Army clan, the fucking murderous row of people they had him wrestle in his first few singles matches. You're talking uh, Masakatsu Funaki, Takiyama... Uh, Suzuki Sekimoto, um, oh, and of course that wonderful uh, Junior Kiyama match that uh, will forever hold a place in my heart is one of the funniest matches I've ever seen in my life. It's it's incredible. Like you you want to see it? You want to? It's like that bit in The Simpsons. Hey kid, do you want to see a dead body? <laughs> like, um, um, but yeah. So um, and then Chihiro Hashimoto uh, beat Meiko Satomura for the uh, Sendai Girls World Title. Uh, but uh, lost it to Arja Kong on, I think, only her first or second defence. Um, so it wasn't as though Jihiro was crowned as the new ace yet. She proven she can beat Mako, but what she hadn't yet proved was that she could have a uh, a big career-defining title reign. Uh, so Arja Kong beat Jihiro Hashimoto, and uh, this is the rematch. So uh, the entrance is uh, Jihiro Hashimoto um, comes out. Now, the interesting point uh, about Sendai Girls vis-a-vis stardom Sendai Girl seems to have a far greater proportion of female fans to male uh, than Stardom does. Uh, and you can you can hear that in the way that uh, the crowd cheer uh, for Chihiro. It's like she's um, she seems to be like someone that a lot of the uh, the younger female fans of Sendai Girl see as a role model. Which in some ways makes, makes Sendai a bit more of the kind of the spiritual inheritor of the AJW crown, mm. I guess, because we, we talked about with the 1985 show, we, we talked about hearing crowds of young women chanting. And if you listen to um, a show like Stardom, it, and actually if you look at the audience as well, audiences are smaller, but they're also still quite male-dominated, whereas yeah. Sendai, in in some ways, it feels like it's a lot more of a mixed bag and it has more of a, it certainly yeah. has more of a female contingent. The, the, I mean, and as it happens, I love Chihiro as well. So, I mean, you asked earlier if I could read the words are on my notes of the Mako Satomura match, and it just said, I love Mako Satomura so much. Yeah. The first line of my notes for this match just says the words, Chihiro is the bomb. But would you say she's the bomb.com? I mean, I don't know yet. Let's see how the match goes. Or the, the bomb.jp, as it would be in uh, in in this country. Um, so going to Chihiro being a role model for the female fans, um, she comes out with um, uh, lots of uh, standards, uh, with with her uh, with her picture on uh, carried by schoolgirls. Do you know who has no standards associated with schoolgirls? Jerry Lawler. They. <laughs> I've been waiting to bring that out just so that uh, you could get that incredibly libelous uh, statement in. I I applaud it. Incredibly libelous, and might I add, I mean, it's, it's Mr. Slander. Lawler, completely Allegedly. untrue. <laughs> I mean, it's slander, not libel, because he said it out loud. But let's just go with lots of allegedly's. Um, I, I would say, however, if we've got a large number of standards uh, being being carried in, this is the only version of a remake of The Eagle of the Ninth I am remotely interested in seeing. <laughs> like, they just get lost around a, a, around a Tokyo arena well, where they've got to go and find the missing standard. We could call it The Eagle Survive of the Ninth. 
Ooh. There you go. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, Arja comes in an um, excellent robe. We haven't really touched on Arja Kong's gear um, yet, because it doesn't seem to have fundamentally changed since the early 90s. It looks so comfy. Yes, it really does, doesn't it? It, it looks like you could go to sleep in it. It's great. And yeah. it's kind of loose it's and baggy, also... and it makes her seem even bigger than she actually is. Yeah, and also, she always has incredibly, like, eye-catching cuts and things so she comes out for this much she comes out with a really nice sparkly jacket and i've got to say she's had she's had various sort of outerwear over the years and i think this is still one of her strongest sort of coat Mm. choices it's very good um i mean this match is um it's kind of different again to the uh the other matches we've covered in that um it isn't just what uh, what uh, David uh, called on an earlier episode human conquers, where it's just it's not just two big lasses smashing against each other. There is a surprising amount of like technical yeah. amateur style grappling at the start, which, as we have said, is is Chihiro's bag, but not something you would necessarily associate with Arja Kong. And it kind of reminds me of those um, again going back to Pride, those matches where you'd have someone who was real technically skilled and someone who had a bit of technical smarts but was also really massive. Yeah, because yeah, um, I, I had a, a sort of a comparison I wanted to make with the uh, Mako match and uh, I found that with the Mako match, even with the Asahi match, you could say as well, I found that the onus was on yeah, the opponent generally trying to be a bit of a nuisance to Azure, trying to put her off a rhythm, if you know what I mean. So yeah. It's, it's especially apparent in the Mako match where like she's just totally um throwing kicks at anything, just trying to connect with something just to kind of put Azure off a rhythm. Um whereas in this it's kind of the other way around where Chihiro is trying to, you know, do the takedowns and stuff like that and Azure's just being the really awkward one that's yeah. her yeah. off the rhythm and I thought there was a very interesting contrast to see that you know her in the opposite role from the one that she was in the previous match nobody because nobody ever said that Arja wasn't a great technical wrestler she had the same training as someone like uh, as someone like Akira Hokuto who came out of the same the same school they were all basically trained by Jaguar Yakota uh, and the kind of the people who came before her so no nobody ever said she couldn't do that it's just that a lot of her style and so many of the matches that she worked over the years, she didn't need to. She was expected to be the wild brawler or she was expected to be the human conquer. Yeah. So she, she never really had the chance. That's why I I like putting this match at sort of the end of season say even, you know, thirty years into her career now. She is she can still pull out actually really, really good technical wrestling when she wants to as well, because some of the some of the more amateur style things that they pull out in this match it's obviously designed to play to Chihiro's strengths but Arja is at this point in her career still reminding people that she's still got it yeah and there's some really good sort of almost MMA style bits in that Chihiro's got her in some sort of um I guess half half guard maybe and um Arja's trying to get out of it by just hammer fisting her in the ribs which is a technique that you often see in the UFC then we see uh, Mako yes. lurking shouting encouragement there's a really really good uh, spot actually where Arja gets a rear chin lock and then Chihiro Ch- fights out so Arja just, just kicks her in the chest. <laughs> like it again, like Arja Kong, she can do the technical stuff. She's still dishing out the brutality. That's partially how desperate she gets as well because I think at some points, like uh, at some points in this match, and I think this is what you what you were talking about, David, about how Chihiro feels probably more of Arja's equal in this match than I think in some of the matches that we've seen previously her opponents have, is that at one point, quite early on, 
Aja just resorts to biting Chihiro's arm. Yeah. Like, she can't get hold of her any other way, so she just sort of bites her, and you can still see the marks, like, ten minutes later in this match. Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, obviously, like, this this is Japan, we're not <laughs> working a bite. <laughs> but that's got, it's got to be real, that's how they do it in the AJW dojo. Um, Chih- the, um, yeah, so Chihiro hits some uh, hip attacks to the side of the head, and these are actually hip attacks. These aren't what Dulului... Uh, claim to be hip attacks because they don't want to admit that they do rather like giving their female wrestlers a move where they just hit someone with their ass. Um, and um, Chihiro tries some lariats and Arjuno sells it. Um, and uh, Chihiro actually manages to hit a lariat. And then, then we start yeah. the process of what this match is really built around, which is Chihiro Hashimoto. Because uh, like loads of people in Joshi use the German suplex is a move and it's not their finisher. At the same time, I can buy that in the same way that Takiyama's finisher was a bridging German and you bought it because he was really fucking tall. Uh, Chihiro Hashimoto is a top amateur, so in kayfabe, you can kind of buy that she does a, yeah, a more deadly absolutely. German suplex than others. Her other her other sort of signature move, uh, David, I know you all want to talk about this, so um, Aja Kong do, do, uh, moves out of the way of uh, Chihiro Hashimoto doing a charge and Chihiro spills to the outside. Uh, she picks Arja up, which, again, is a pretty good feat of strength, mm-hmm. and rams her against the post, and then hits David. What is the move? The water wheel drop. The water it wheel is drop. the water wheel drop. It, I'm, I'm trying to think. I think it may be my favourite move in wrestling. I was it's, going to say. It's so, so good. I mean, for those that don't know, um, the water wheel drop is also the finisher of... Uh, Russian Colossus Salman Hashimikov, um, NJPW World's uh, greatest export. Um, he, he, I love the water wheel drop. I think it's the fact it's, it's the snapping motion that I love. So when they lift him up onto their shoulders, essentially, it's they lift him up onto their shoulders and then snap back and hit them. It's sort of like a northern light yeah, suplex. It, there's a delay as they lift them oh, up and man. they snap them back. But they do it on the floor here, and to me, it, it's just absolute death. Anytime anyone does it, I'm like, that's it, it's done. Water wheel drop. Uh, that's me. I love this move so much, and I love Big Chihiro for it. It's especially a a, a great visual on someone Arja Kong size, like exactly, it. Yeah. I mean, we've 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 like Chihiro looks strong as fuck. This proves that she um that she is. So back in the ring, another failed German suplex met with a clothesline. Um, uh, she uh, Chihiro does a body slam to 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 Arja, and then um two flipping sentons for two again. Like this is not. A centaur. She definitely gives her all yes. into this. Just puts her entire weight into this flipping centaur, which makes it even worse when uh, she actually does it off the off the top rope, as she started doing in her big matches. Yeah, she definitely gets all of it every time. Yeah, there is also an, uh, an enjoyably. We've talked about Arja Kong's brutal counters, which basically involves swatting someone. Chihiro goes for a charge and just gets kneed in the face, a la. Um, Shinsuke Nakamura trying to go for uh, Sakuraba at Wrestle Kingdom 7 and just taking it right in the jaw. Like, that was that was amazing. Um, there's also, because while Arjikon can still go, if she does need sort of a bit of a breather, she can go back to her old wheelhouse, which is the garbage brawling on the outside. And I say garbage yes. brawling not as a pejorative, in the sense of lots of garbage is used, like people are getting whacked in the head with chairs and stuff. No chair shots to the head, please, guys. Can we Can we, Can we? we all just stop it now? She does at least get her hands up on these. <laughs> yeah, that's true. She does at least have like a thin layer of protection over before she gets her head rattled. Chihiro Hashimoto is a patient number two of Homer Simpson syndrome. <laughs> She hits uh, Jihiro in the back with a chair so hard uh, that the back of the chair just flies off. Oh, God. 
And then there's a brain buster on the floor. Yes, that, that was... Oh, awful. that looks horrible. And then, as if to add insult to it, I laughed so hard at this. Um, while Chihiro Hashimoto is on her back, maybe dead, Arjun just gets a chair and just hits her right in the stomach with it. And then just spits <laughs> at someone in the crowd. I really hope for her sake it was not a legitimate businessman. <laughs> Quite frankly, if it came to if it came to Aja Kong versus the Yakuza, my money's still on Aja. The thing is, is like I think it's a great heel tactic. Oh man, it's amazing people will hate you. How fucking horrified would you be if it was you that you spat at that I think it would it would just it would freak me the fuck out. I would never wash my face again if Arja Kong spat at me. Does that sound weird? I, I, I personally have quite strong opinions about this, and I generally think that if you if you spat, if I was on the front row of a wrestling show and a wrestler deliberately spat at me, I would walk out and I would never go back for that promotion. Yeah, again. it is pretty. I gross. just, I just. Number one, spitting in public, you, you can fuck off with that to start with, and and number two, like you don't. You don't spit on people. That's that. We're getting off topic now, but it really pisses me off. Do you remember when Tetsuya Naito accidentally spat on a child at your call? That was good. That was oh, fun times. Oh, that was grim. Da- 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 Daddy, I'm so 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 excited to go to my first wrestling show. No, stop it. <laughs> no misery. Misery being caused to children is good. That is true. Yes, <laughs> there was a crying, but there was a crying toddler on my bus home. I can say this. Yes, I think it depends on the child, really. Okay, most children. Most children. <laughs> anyway, the, the only exception is is Onita, because he famously spits his water at people, and that's kind of part of the act where he soaks everyone in water at the end. But then again, Onita is the exception to many rules, i.e., being a scab cunt and stealing entire gate receipts, and generally having a scandalous uh, um, tenure on the Japanese diet. But it's fine, he's Onita, I don't care. Well, I hear they've brought in Anita, <laughs> I hear they've brought in Anita to negotiate on behalf of Universities UK. Hopefully the strike will be over. Like, this is one occasion I do want a reference to be dated. Hopefully the strike is over by the time this goes out. Oh, as someone who works in higher education, I second the hell out of that. So, um, yeah, Chihiro gets back in, uh, gets chucked back in the ring. Uh, huge backdrop driver for two. Another brain buster for two. A falling elbow drop off the top rope for two. Um, again, this is very much like Arja Kong's top uh, second rope elbow. It's not very graceless, but gravity does the work. There is a... Um, oh, sorry, what? Looking for uh, yeah, like with the elbow drop, I can't remember if it was this match or if it was the Mako match where she does the arm um, bar and it drops and yeah, 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 it's the same, it's the same kind, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was the Mako match. Um, my favorite, what probably my favorite spot in this whole match actually is it, it's a similar sort of principle where um, Aja goes for the Eurocam, but the but basically she misses. Jahira sort of dodges out of the way, but. The momentum of it keeps Aja Kong spinning so that she gets her back to Chihiro. And just at the right moment, Chihiro stops her, gets her arms around her and gets her up for the German suplex. It's really good. Because, uh, yeah, she's like, I'm not going to get behind her, but I'll let her spin around herself. Yeah, it you, was brilliant. It's like she she builds up to the German so well in that she fails to get it. Then she actually manages to lift Aja Kong a little bit off the ground. But, yeah. but then Aja turns it into a knee bar. Um, then again, they're Arja Kong like bringing out the submission wrestling in like um, quite a late stage of the match, which you which you don't really um, normally get. And um, <laughs> it's actually really funny that the first time Jiho actually manages to hit the German, Arja Kong's actually up first. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> that that is pretty amazing. And uh, she hits another German suplex, um, goes for a third, but Arja Kong spins round and a desperation Urken. Both women are down, and then we get 
another of the uh, great banshee screams. Yes. Uh, from from uh, Arja, she. Um, this is probably the only thing that like I don't know if this was a botch or not. Like near the end, she doesn't hurricane, and either there's a bit of hesitancy. The alternative is that they've done a spot where Chihiro blocks the Urken with her incredibly hard Homer Simpson head. Um, <laughs> both are possibilities. Uh, I'm not sure. And uh, the finish is a huge lariat spins Arja around once again and another German suplex finishes it. And Chihiro Hashimoto yeah. wins back the Sendai Girls World Championship. I, I love the moment where Chihiro was sitting at Dace and he realises that the cactus is right and that he won't, Azra won't get tired and she has to fight back. And then, <laughs> and then Hiroya Matsumoto flies in on a fan. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I remember watching this match and being a bit disappointed with it because they'd had a match previously and I thought that one was better. And uh, what, watching this match back, this was pretty fucking great. Like, I, I enjoyed the hell out of this. I absolutely love this match. I think it's, I think it's great to see someone like Arja, even at this point in her career, can still be taken to her limits and she can still be pushed. And she's pulling out things here that we haven't seen her do for years. I think it's, it's great to see someone like Chihiro, who is still what twenty two or something. No, like she's that? older than that. She's, she's like twenty six, but like okay, she's not yeah. been in wrestling very long. Yeah, someone like her who has so many years ahead of her. I mean, bearing in mind that Jaguar Kota is still wrestling and she probably shouldn't be. Like Chihiro's got like thirty years still ahead of her, and to see feuds like this and the matches that she's having against people like Arja now are setting her up. Number one, to be a, a made woman for the rest of her career, but number two, she's learning so much from these people that she can pass on and matches like this are amongst the reasons why are just still so valuable to the to women's wrestling in general but also to you know specifically to to japan because she's one of the few members of that old guard who are still around passing on all of that all of that knowledge and all of that skill yeah and this is absolutely this feels like a bit like a changing of the guard moment yeah, absolutely. It does give you also a nice little preview of um, the match that uh, Eve have booked for their York Hall show on May the 5th, which is uh, Arja Kong versus Viper, which I imagine might proceed along a, a sort of similar sort of template. Maybe less chain wrestling and more human conquers, but I'm still very much looking forward to it. Yes, exactly. I mean, full disclosure, the reason that I'm looking forward to this so much, uh, uh, the pair of us, in fact, is that George and I are going to be ringside. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> I can't guarantee that I'm not going to burst into tears when Arja Kong comes well, out, well, the, the noises you made when um, uh, they announced Arja Kong yeah, for, so we were, for the show. We were, so we yeah. were at the Pro Wrestling Eve show where they finally announced that Arja was indeed coming over to the UK and it will be her European debut, I think, as well, yes, won't it? Yes, yes. Um, and the... Viper, who requested the match sort of last summer, was getting her wish. I I had a feeling that they were going to announce it. I was like, the, Viper wouldn't have asked for the match if they didn't have it in the offing somewhere. Yes. So I was like, I'm, I've been waiting for the moment when it was going to happen. And then suddenly it became real to me that I was going to be in the same room as Arja Kong. And the person behind me, I wasn't aware of just how loud I was. And then the person behind me turned around and asked if I was all right, <laughs> because I had sort of hurt their eardrums. You, you know what we call that person, so we call them a pleb. <laughs> <laughs> they just can't understand. I don't think anyone can truly understand how, how much this is this is going to mean. But I, I think that someone like Aja Kong, there's almost no more worlds left to conquer for her at this stage in her career. She has headache, Bristol. <laughs> <laughs> 
and only hopefully not as much of an awful person on Twitter. <laughs> I think I think where I'm going with this is there isn't much else that she has left in her career to accomplish, but if she wants to come to Europe and, you know, she wants to give me opportunities to pay more money than I could necessarily justify to, to be within sort of 15 feet of her. I'm completely fine with this. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah, this being like the, the major reason we uh, did the episode, and also because Aja Kong's a fucking legend, we have just um, reviewed some very, very enjoyable matches and hopefully given uh, all of you listeners at home uh, a little bit of a flavour of uh, the career and the sort of different types of matches uh, that she's uh, been involved in. So I think one of the things that that's almost an intangible in in these matches, although I do think that you get a sense of it from the level of charisma that she has and the presence that she has when she walks into the room by the latter stages of Mm. her career, something that you don't necessarily get from just just what happens in the ring itself, is how is what she means to people and what, what she signifies, and that she is someone who has overcome huge amounts of of difficulties in her life uh, and someone who was told very early on that she did not match the standards of what was expected from, you know, the the pretty Joshi face early in her days. And we know that she was she was bullied for for her race and, and so much during her childhood. And she has earned all of that over the years and she has made herself into one of the into one of those characters. There's um there's a great um, documentary online. I strongly recommend that everybody sort of tries to track it down. It's only seven or eight minutes long, um, but a, a web series or it was a TV news show or something did a, a short documentary on Arja where she talked about her life. And she basically says that from the early days of her wrestling career, she was told, you know, nobody's ever going to like you because you're big and black. So you're going to be a heel. And she was like, right, then I'm going to be the biggest heel that you've ever seen and no one's going to take that away from me. And she owned that and she made it so much part of who she was. And to achieve the thing that she's... everything that she's achieved in her career and to be somebody who is still standing after that long of a career and who can still be the kind of influential figure that she is, she's incredibly inspirational and I'm... I'm really proud, actually, that we get to we'll get to meet her and that we get to talk about her now, because you know she could also quite easily have been cast aside mm. somewhere down the line as well. She could have not been accepted into AJW at all. It wouldn't necessarily have been unheard of. So before we before we finish, which match did we did we enjoy the most out of these? David, I probably know what you're going to say. Go on, go on, spill it. I mean that raw match is just. <laughs> Absolutely wonderful. I mean, I, I can't. Yeah, I can't put it into words. Absolutely, males uh, without absolute conviction. Ashokan versus Chavrita Sahi is just the most wonderful thing ever. Don't get me wrong; all these matches were great, and especially that cage match. That cage match is absolutely essential viewing for anyone who ever, whoever has any interest in brawls or cage matches or women's wrestling it is like an absolute must watch but i mean any literally i as i said i could show that calling asahi match to my dad and he'd fucking love it and he doesn't watch wrestling so (laughs) i have to go for that so what about yourself 
I'm I'm quite torn because I, I love all of these matches in their own way. I probably like the Raw match less just because I would like it to be extended for another five minutes. And That's I the would beauty like... of it, Sarah. <laughs> I know, I know. If they extended but... it for another five minutes, like, I mean, like, her health insurance wouldn't cover it. I, in fact, I wanted to say, I really hope Champion Tarasai, we talked about Nakano getting a big payoff for um, either leg drop. I hope Chaparita Asai got a huge commission bonus just for the absolute <laughs> For taking that much pain. Also, yeah. like, if it was twice as long, think how many more Jerry Lawler uh, lines you would have had to suffer. That's true. But again, watch it on mute. <laughs> so, yeah, which, yeah. which match? I, oh, if you're going to make me choose, I think I might... I might go with the Maker match purely based on the way that it was. It was a well-structured, well-organized, well-worked match that didn't necessarily tell a new story, but which did it pretty much perfectly. But I love all of them in their own way. Yeah. And my girl Bull Nakano stabbing people with scissors is something that I will treasure I, forever. Yeah, I'd have to go with the Maker match as well with the with the cage match coming a close second. But honestly. Uh, I would recommend, hey, if you want to get a sense of Arja Kong, just just find all these matches. Um, they're, they're they're easy to find via Google, and just watch them in order, just just to get a sense of how her her style varies uh, from match to match, and how her she has remained the same throughout her career, but different. Yeah, exactly. There's actually a cheeky plug time, but there's there's actually an, an article I wrote for our site. I maintain is. the double foot stomp is silly dot com. Um, when the news of Arja's European debut um, first came around. I, I wrote an article called Where to Start with Arja Kong, which is really a kind of a basic sort of Arja for beginners, um, telling you a little bit about her life, but also with some match recommendations to give you a flavour of her career as well. Um, so hopefully that we can tweet that out yeah, as and when this episode drops. Absolutely. As well. Okay, so we're uh, getting on to the uh, getting on to the cheeky plugs. You can find us at Per Podcast on Twitter. Uh, I'm going to plug the Facebook page, even though we never add any content content to it because. Uh, well, quite frankly, we're lazy bastards. Um, but you can uh, find all our all our hot takes and weird jokes on uh, on Twitter at Poe Podcast. You can find us on uh, SoundCloud uh, again at the Poe Poe Podcast. You can find us on iTunes at the Poe Poe Podcast. And um, uh, Sarah, you're uh, actually uh, before, before oh, yeah. you go on, I, I I have been meaning to plug this for I'm not joking about ten episodes, and I keep forgetting every week or every time we do this, and I remembered now. If you are listening to this, we are going to be one of those guys um, who asked, do you know what? Obviously, subscribe on iTunes or wherever, and, you know, like us and all that. Leave us a rating, because my ego needs stroked. And I would really like it if you gave me a five-star rating. We don't do six and a quarter yet, but, you know, five, <laughs> five, give, give us a wee five-star rating. Jushin Thunderlager, there's literally no excuse for you not to review this um, as five stars on iTunes, because, I mean, come on, guys. Um, yeah, r- reviews, if, um, put in some funny jokes. Um, just, you know, make really, really obscure references, because I'll probably get them, and that's my kink. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So um yeah yeah do do all of that uh, Sarah your personal uh say your personal details don't give don't give don't give our audience especially your personal details so what would you like to plug online well that was weird <laughs> <laughs> uh, I suppose um my the aforementioned article that I'm shamelessly plugging um anything else that I'm writing at the minute you will find out by following me on at sarah parkin one on twitter um but more importantly of course you should follow at two times foot stomp on twitter uh and check out our website i maintain the double foot stomp is silly.com because short urls are for losers 
that's all I've really got, to be honest. Okay, well, in that case, I've been uh, George Thompson, my guests uh, David Forrest and uh, Sarah Parkin, and next time we are going to finally, after the the uh, abortion of a Christmas special, the Wrestle Kingdom special and this, we're finally going to bring you episode 14, part two of our Pride retrospective. Daniel will have Wi-Fi, he'll be cooking up a nice, delicious bowl of Iberian prawns, and um, it w- he'll be back with us. So, um, with that in mind... See ya. match that we watched was Bull Nakano versus Aja Kong and it, it basically it changed things it, that, sorry, sorry we need to re-record re- no that was the second match we watched the first one was uh, Bull Nakano versus Akira Hokuto oh, was it? are you sure? We, we said this we went over this before episode 8 yeah, but I don't remember watching that one, though. This is the first it, I, I, pro- I promise you it was the first one we yeah, this watched. Is it, this isn't the whole gross race or deathmatch thing with me, where I'm pretty sure it was the first one <laughs> I watched, but I can't remember it being the first one I watched. I mean, it's not hugely important. It's just like I don't want to contradict a previous thing we've said. You, you are aware yeah, this is going on after Sasuke's theme. You, I am absolutely... <laughs> <laughs> and this. <laughs> Coming your way at the Survivor Series. At the next WWF Spectacular, you will see what I'm sure will be one of the most exciting elimination tag matches ever held at the November Classic. WWF Women's Champion Alundra Blaze will team with Kyoko Inoue, Sakia Hasagawa, and Chaparita Asare to battle Bertha Fay, Aja Kong, Linus Asuka, and Tomoko Watamadavi. Aja Kong, at over 230 pounds, is one of Japan's most famous athletes and feared competitors. She is a two-time All-Japan champion and may be the toughest female athlete in the entire history of sports in Japan. Kong had a series of brutal kickboxing matches with the London Blaze a few years ago that Japanese sports writers still talk about. Aja's spinning backward punch is simply devastating. 
Pong is only 25, but has 10 years pro experience. Another top superstar from the All Japan Women's Organization is Kyoko Inoue. This charismatic star with a bat face makeup weighs in at 175 pounds, and folks, she's an offensive powerhouse. Her favorite maneuver, called the Niagara Driver, is a devastating high-impact finisher. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something here, that this matchup with all these outstanding female athletes could be the show stealer at this year's Survivor Series. And I also want to remind you that on the WWF Superstar line, all day... Red Hart, on the other hand, must maintain his composure and focus on Big Daddy Cool's legs. And now, folks, let's take a look at some more outstanding athletes that we'll see at Survivor Series. At the Survivor Series, we will be privileged to see some of the greatest female athletes in the world. Perhaps, ladies and gentlemen, we'll see the four foot nine inch Chaparita Asare execute her unbelievable Sky Twister Press. And look at Linus Asuka, utilize an armbar takedown and go for a submission by hyperextending the elbow. The former crush gal, who's only 32, retired in 1989 and became a race car driver and television commentator for tennis and martial arts. She returned to action just last year. Tomoko Watanabe executes the fastest hip lock I've ever seen. Take another look at it. And the 23-year-old can also deliver a simply devastating suplex. And what an athlete Kyoko Inoue is. Watch her walk up to the top rope without the use of her hands and look at the unbelievable suplexes off the top. First, a belly to belly and a belly to back. It's simply amazing. Now, next week here on the Ross Report, we'll continue our series on Japan's outstanding female women's champion, Alundra Blaze, and her arch rival, Aja Kong. Many of us remember Alundra's epic victory over Bull Nakano last April to regain the WWF women's title. Alundra was at her best against the huge Japanese star, executing a wide variety of high-impact maneuvers and absorbing a great deal of punishment until finally suplexing her way back to the championship. But Ms. Blaze must beware of the 230-pound kick-fighting machine, Aja Kong. The 25-year-old martial arts expert, who is a national spokesperson for Orange Juice in Japan, is known for her vicious spinning backward punch and reportedly is looking forward to confronting Alundra tonight. Folks, I'll assure you, you're going to be thoroughly amazed at the athleticism. Uh, do you have any adventures in Pudo that we need to know about or anything? No, we haven't been to. Well, we haven't been to any wrestling for since the She Won, but then I did work out that we're seeing five shows in the next two months. So uh, probably will by the time we record the next episode. Yeah, definitely. Um, if we need some adventures in Puro, David, we could always just get you to like relive your Jushin Liger experience. From yeah, last just year. again, yeah, just, <laughs> just again. Um, it's worth it. You were so happy. It was so worth it. It's, it's like Rashomon if all the retellings were by the same person. <laughs> <laughs> we just do it from a different perspective every time. Yeah, it's just you. It's just you. You like each month, just like forgetting more and more of the details. <laughs>